I'm Dr. Future, your host. I invite you to join me as together we experience a future quake. quake, quake, quake. Welcome to the Future Quake Show. I am Dr. Future. And I am Tom of the Partial Rapture, yet still here. Still kind of gone, but still here. Bionic. Uh, you're Tom foreshadowing Bionic Indeed. today. Ladies and gentlemen, it's great to be back with you with another week of shows. And we have another compelling show this week. It's back on topic of Bible prophecy and Bible teaching. And it's one that's going to make a lot of people scratch their heads. Uh, we're going to be talking with Reverend J.W. White, Jr., the author of The Partial Rapture Theory Explained, Escaping the Coming Storm. Mm-hmm. And our theme is Evidence in Scripture Suggesting a Possible Conditional Rapture. And uh, this will get a lot of people's uh, hair raised up on the back of their necks. Yeah. And well, I, you know, I mean, a lot of times people accuse us of teaching heresy and stuff. But the whole point of this show isn't necessarily us teaching. That's getting another person here. You stole my thunder. No, it's mine. Well, when I said, yeah, because people have said, well, I can't believe you were teaching this or that or whatever. Somebody we're not wouldn't teaching even anything. It. It's an educational <laughs> show that we're trying to educate. Like, whoa, you have to make your own serious, decisions? Look out. Serious Look Bible out. students. People going crazy, making their own decisions. <laughs> we want to expose them to different views, uh, particularly those of other Bible-believing Christians that have thoughts that you don't normally hear in other forums or mainstream Christian radio. Mm-hmm. And I, I can tell you, this gentleman is a classic example of a gentleman who studied his scripture diligently and independently, came mm-hmm. with his own views of scripture and justifies his point. That doesn't mean necessarily that everyone will accept it or not, but it is a worthy uh, venue and a worthy activity to study what he has found in scripture. And that's well, what we're going to do this week. I'll tell you, you know, there are three hallmarks of people we have on the, on the quake. Um, well, we should probably, let's, let's get to the interview. I'm sorry. We have, we have so much interview in so little time. Yeah. So no further ado, here's Reverend J.W. White, Jr., author of The Pro- Partial Rapture Theory Explained. We'll be back to wrap it up here at Future Quake. Welcome to the Future Quake Show. I am Dr. Future. And I'm Tom, partially raptured, but still here, <laughs> bionic. <laughs> All right. Well, it's uh, another great uh, week for the Future Quake Show, and we have a new guest with us this week. That we're really excited to have. We've got Reverend J.W. White Jr., the author of The Partial Rapture Theory Explained, Escaping the Coming Storm. And our theme of our show this week is Evidence in Scripture Suggesting a Possible Conditional Rapture. And uh, this is a show that's going to be a very intriguing show for all of our many prophecy fans out on, in the Future Quake audience, our Futurians. But I want to say, Brother White, uh, welcome for your first visit to the Future Quake show. Thank you. I'm just tickled to to be here, and I appreciate you all having me. Well, yeah. it's it's an honor to have you here, and I just want to tell you how much I've really enjoyed reading your book this week. Um, it was a uh, a very dedicated attempt through your study of the Bible. Uh, I really gained a lot of respect for you by reading your book uh, on your serious study of the Bible. And, and some of the compelling findings that you found and, and how you drew your conclusions. And I think it's going to give a lot of food for thought for our audience. Uh, would, would you like me to call you Brother Chip or Brother White? How, how do you like to go by with radio Bro- audience? Brother Chip. Okay, Brother Chip. Um, before, before we get into uh, this topic, um, can, can we begin by having you give us a very brief summary of your background and credentials? Okay, well, my credentials, as I was... Uh 
uh, after I believed I was called, I was licensed, and then uh, a couple of years later ordained by the Southern Baptist, uh, mm-hmm. and that is the extent of my credentials. That I, I believe I was mm-hmm. called. I was uh, put under the microscope as they do, and uh, asked asked questions, and and uh, everyone prayed over it, and uh, they agreed that they believed I was called, and. Mm-hmm. Uh, had surrendered to actually evangelism, and which I've actually never served. I've only served as a pastor of, a, of a three small churches over a period of time. Okay. But uh, I was ordained by the Southern Baptist into a little church uh, in our area, and that's the extent of my uh, credentials. Okay. How long have you served as a pastor? Oh, it was in the mid-'80s that I was, uh, uh, early-'80s I was uh licensed, and in the mid-80s that I was ordained in my first church. Okay. And as I understand from your book, you've been a serious uh, student of the Bible for, for over 30 years, correct? Uh, yes, sir. You could you could say that. I, I, uh, I was actually raised in the church. My grandfather was a, a Southern Baptist preacher in South Texas. I was born in Corpus Christi, and he was the pastor of what then at that time was North Beach Baptist Church. Mm-hmm. F.A. Uh, Walton Sr. and I, I was, I, it was, it was said in the family that I was in church the first Sunday after I was born. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, kinda, I was, I was literally raised in the church, and uh, of course, at that time and up into my teenage years, I just accepted what I was told because my granddaddy was a Southern Baptist minister, and you know, my granddaddy was right. Right. And um, but uh, as I grew into my teenage years, my, I have. I don't ever remember not reading, just at least reading the Bible. And then when I started into my teenage years, I was uh, I had a I was a mild student of the Bible and studied. And when I got uh, about 15 years old, I stumbled over uh, the promise and revelation uh, of um, that you'd receive a blessing by the study of revelation. And then I made. Revelation, a part of my regular Bible study. And mm-hmm. then, uh, a few months later, I crossed uh, Revelation chapter 4 and thought I recognized it as the rapture. And I called my pastor at that time, Brother Johnny Witham at Piney Grove Baptist mm-hmm. Church, and talked to him, and he explained to me, well, that's not the rapture, but it's a picture of the rapture, or we believe it's a picture of the rapture. Mm-hmm. And I just... I fell in love at the age of 15 with the study of the rapture. So upon all of the topics of the Bible, uh, the rapture has been uh, foremost in the front of my Bible study. And that led me into my early 20s uh, of some of the questionable scripture that as I gave it an honest read, it did not uh, hold up to the teachings that I was actually taught. And I started quizzing and questioning different ministers on, uh, well, we believe such and such, but this passage seems to appear to teach something else. And uh, I was usually given an explanation that that did not uh, suit me. And upon that, I started getting into what the Scripture calls the deep things of God. And um, that's what led me to uh, all of the studies that I do today and the accumulation of the documentation for the book. Mm-hmm. Well, 
it sounds like to me you almost started studying the Bible for yourself. You know, that can be very dangerous when you start reading it yourself and forming your own opinions. Uh, no. Uh, <laughs> if, if you, if you, uh, the Scripture tells us that the Scripture cannot lead you astray. Only man's interpretation of the Scripture can lead you astray. The way that I study and the way that I uh, teach others to study and the way that I recommend is ask the Scripture questions and let the Scripture answer for itself. The Spirit will lead you through the Scripture itself. Well, and, uh, you 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 know I'm being a little silly there because but the the you know the, <laughs> the church hundreds of years ago didn't want the common man to have the Bible. That's exactly you know, right. Even though Tyndall wanted the the I think it was Tyndall the plowboy out to have the Bible, um, because they recognize the danger when people start thinking for themselves and reading for themselves. But even today, even in the evangelical world, uh, people have denominations to defend. Uh, positions of different groups to defend rather than everyone going and seeking the word for themselves. So uh, we we try to be a show that focuses on people that are willing to do their own thinking mm-hmm. uh, and just let uh, let the chips fall where they may, excuse the pun. Well, I'll uh, inter- yeah, I'll interject one thing there. I trust my God to teach anyone the truth. And uh, just like I, like I believe I found it in his word, anyone can find in his word as i said in my book if i if if i can do this anyone can right and i trust i trust my god well you know and it's not it's not bad to read you know there there have been giants in in christianity and have accomplished much and in our teaching and learning we can all learn from and learn from the experience of others i mean obviously you want people to read your book and to learn from your findings so we can obviously learn from each other but ultimately we're not here to defend dogma or positions we're here to let the the Bible tell us what to believe, rather than us telling the Bible what it should yeah. say. And uh, I think that's your spirit in the work that you've done. And regardless of how our listeners are going to interpret your positions, uh, it came very clear that that was your spirit and how you uh, pr- proceeded with your work. Um, can you tell us quickly again, because we've got a lot of material to cover, how you became convinced? What was the clincher information? And we're going to go methodically over a lot of this data, but that convinced that what you call the conditional rapture was supported by Scripture? And then why did you go to the effort to write a book when you say that you know that very few people will embrace its teachings? Okay. Uh, What convinced me of what I believe is the truth of the conditional rapture is the Scripture itself. Uh, I, I, I I kept coming across Scripture that seemed to be worded in a manner that was contrary, not severely, but contrary to what I was taught. And in my late teens, I I made the conscious decision, if you will, to let the Lord teach me the truth. When I was and I was I was called as a minister, I surrendered as a teenager uh, at a youth camp and. I was not going to teach anything that I was not completely convinced was the truth. The the scripture in my life, because of my family, I, I come from what I call a double-dip Baptist family, uh, Southern Baptist uh, mm-hmm. uh, man married a Southern Baptist uh, daughter of a Southern Baptist minister. <laughs> <laughs> okay. 
And and both of my family, I didn't know there was anything but Southern Baptist till I was about ten years old. Right. And um, but I, if I was if I was called to preach, I only wanted to preach and teach the truth. And I I had a long talk with the Lord, and said, okay, if I'm called to preach, I will do that. But I'm only gonna I'm only gonna teach the truth. So I know there's a God. I know Jesus Christ is His Son. And I know this, the Word of God, the Bible, what we call the Bible, is the record you gave to your creation of that truth. You walk me through. You lead me through. You guide me through your Word and teach me only your truth. And through that study, uh, the Scripture uh, more or less cemented most of the doctrines that I had been taught uh, through the Southern Baptist denomination, but not all. Right. I got to study in other denominations uh, just to understand their point of view, whether sure. I knew I was going to uh, believe it or not in sections of their denomination. But I wanted to understand. And uh, through that, I found passages of Scripture that did not hold up to the explanations that I, I gave, that was given to me of them. Right. And uh, through that study, I believe the Lord educated me through his word, and that's how I came to understand the teaching of the conditional rapture. And I didn't know there was, I didn't know there was a partial rapture teaching out there. When I stumbled over yeah. this and the scripture started leading me to those uh, teachings, uh, I, I, I went back to the Lord and simply said, no, I, can't, I can't teach and preach this in a Baptist church. They'll run me off. Yeah. And uh, the Lord, literally, what happened to me was, well, you asked me for the truth, and here it is. Uh, put up or shut up. What are you going to do? Yeah. So uh, I surrendered not only to the ministry, but to, you could say, this ministry. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then I, over the next few years after that, I just found passage after passage after passage that just confirmed what those first few passages seemed to suggest. And you've packed many of those in the book. I can certainly vouch for that. Yeah, it's, I couldn't get all of them in there. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, it's, it, as you know, uh, tell our listeners, I spent a long time with this book because there was so much information in it. But I earned a respect for you uh, in that you do not sweep not just troublesome verses, but troublesome phrases within verses under the rug. Uh, yes. You confront them head on. And that's that's the kind of thinking we want to promote in the body of Christ here on this show. Um, you know, you clearly, getting into our, the content of, of this biblical model, you clearly support eternal security of salvation in Absolutely. your teaching. But as you know, there are many sincere Christians. Uh, in fact, I can think of many within the churches of Christ, for example. Many God-fearing, Bible-believing Christians that point out passages that suggest a conditional nature uh, of devotion uh, in order to receive God's favor in one way or the other. And it's often interpreted as a, a criteria of you know conditional position for salvation, uh, i.e., you know, potential losing your salvation, you know, if you don't hang tight. And that has been a contention between the eternal security positions of Baptists and others and those on the other side. Now, I inferred from your teaching in your book that part of this difference in these beliefs may be due to a misunderstanding, uh, if your model is correct, uh, uh, of the criteria that's relevant to the blessing of the rapture. 
In other words, that the, the, the response and the devotion of individual Christians could actually have an impact on the blessing of the rapture as opposed to that of salvation. Uh, and so these, these verses that have a warning of if you don't do thus and so, which we're going to talk in detail later, um, then there could be some negative consequences to you as children of God. And many people assume that that would relate to their salvation, and others say, well, that can't be. Uh, we're born as children of God, which is, is what my inclination is. And uh, in, in what, what you seem to have pointed out, that, that both can be true in, a, in the effect that there are really negative consequences uh, for those who do not hold fast uh, to Christ, and that is the impact of their participation in the rapture event itself. Now, am I right in understanding that? And if so, can you clarify why the criteria for participating in the rapture is not the same as what is required to get eternal life, as per your understanding of Scripture? Yeah. First, let me say that um, the way I begin teaching uh, on uh, along those lines or questions such as that is the Lord Jesus Christ is not coming back for the church. The Lord Jesus Christ is coming back for his bride. The bride is encased inside the church. Now, the entire church is saved. They have possession of salvation. Now, what you're talking about, uh, in e- e- eternal, the, the, the question of, uh, is, is, is salvation, uh, eternal security, that's the, yeah. the title. Right. That is, that right. I learned when I was growing up, eternal security of the believer. Uh, once saved, always saved was the phrase sure. that I grew up with, and God gave me a better term. It's once a child of God, always a child of God. That is an absolute scriptural biblical fact. Uh, we, there are three fellowships that we have through our relationship with Jesus Christ, and one is uh, the fact that we are adopted. The Bible says we are adopted in the family of God. That is a legal bind. The second, uh, we are adopted through the blood of Jesus Christ. Now hold on to your seats. <laughs> making us blood kin to the Creator Himself. Once you are blood kin to the Creator and no longer a child of darkness, a child of, of uh, the devil, or, or however most denominations put it, you cannot change who your spiritual parents, if you will, are. The physical is the representation of what is true in the spiritual. None of us can change who our biological parents are. Right. That is set. Uh, now, you can have fellowships of several different natures, levels of fellowship, or no fellowship at all. But the relationship never changes. That is the relationship that we have with God. Mm-hmm. Uh, the final and third um, relationship we have with him is when we are uh, adopted into the family of God through the blood of Jesus Christ, we become, according to the word, engaged or espoused to Christ. Now, that's an engagement process, and that's what we're in right now during the church age, toward the end of the church age, is the engagement process. Mm-hmm. But through that engagement, we have to keep ourselves uh, uh, clean, cleansed. Uh, I, 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 I fall short from righteous, using the word righteous, because none of us are righteous. We're mm-hmm. only righteous in God's eyes through our right. obedience. Mm-hmm. Uh, later on, you'll get to the word worthy. Mm-hmm. But uh, uh, none of us are worthy. We are accounted worthy 
by God through our obedience. Well, but uh, eternal it, security, the question of eternal security, once a child of God, always a child of God, is the fact that once you are born into the family of God, that can't be changed according to Ephesians chapter right. 1. Well, no, clarify if I'm wrong here, Brother Chip, but uh, we have in a sense an imputed righteousness through Christ in terms of justification, in terms of our salvation, in terms of our adoption, in terms of that criteria, we have the, the, the righteousness of, of Christ through his sacrifice we bear. However, we also have our own actions as children that we're then accountable for in which you make the, the bulk of your book itself. You know, um, uh, you, you mentioned at the beginning of, of your discussion there something that's probably the most controversial part of the whole book, and we just skipped past it, about uh, uh, designating between the church and the bride, which will get everybody's ears to pick up uh, in our <laughs> listenership. Uh, and uh, they're going to have to do their study for themselves on, on yeah. your points. I will say you, you make uh, a lot of passages in Scripture uh, looking at specific verses and also looking at archetypes to make your case. So um, you say something very provocative there, but people are going to have to really study in detail to see whether they agree with your, your claim or not. Uh, Let on me this. interject. Uh, what we're talking about, and the word hadn't come up, but grace... Uh, the age of grace that we're living in, grace, strictly defined, is the good favor of God. Grace is found in salvation. That's explained in the first chapter. Mm-hmm. Grace in and of itself is not salvation. You, you can become a child of God, then fall out of favor. When you fall out of favor with God, when you turn your back on God and get away from God and get back out of the world, I've known believers that have done that. Uh, you can get out of God's good graces or God's favor. And that's the confusion that the church has as they confuse grace with salvation Right. instead well, of knowing and understanding that grace is a part of salvation. Well, I think the equation, as an engineer myself, the, the equation in Scripture that's clear is it says, by grace are ye saved through faith. That's Amen. That's so, right. so there's that's the the criteria by which grace plays a role in in your in your salvation. Now, one one of the biggest arguments of opponents to your teaching is that they believe God and and, and let me just say this conditional rapture uh, basically says that there will be a rapture event that will only call those who are really truly devoted in serving the Lord as opposed to those who are Christians basically in name only. They've made a decision for God at some time, but then they've gone their own way, and they've really been out of fellowship with the Lord. Um, your, your opponents that would disagree with that say that they believe that God would not treat different parts of the church differently, and they focus on verses that emphasize the unity of the body of Christ. Could you explain how Scripture suggests how, in fact, he already does separate out the the church already today, such as like being split up by the veil of death, where we have one part of the church amongst the living. Huh? Sorry. Well, yeah. Let me. Yeah. Never mind. But you know, we've got. I'll be quiet. No, please speak up. (laughs) Uh, We've got those that are the the dead in Christ, and then we have those that are living. So they're separated across the veil right now. Uh, And then, of course. you talk about how Jesus, in the early chapters of Revelation, predicts a different path for the different churches in the book of Revelation. And particularly you talk about the church of Philadelphia, Thyatira, and Laodicea. Can you explain about how Scripture supports your claim that, that there is differentiation between parts of the body of Christ? 
Well, one of one of the things I point to in the scripture is uh, I, I've I've come I've come across that issue several times. It's been worded differently than that, but uh, uh, in the book I make a mention that I've been told directly that uh, God would not separate the church uh, individuals that basically all have the same beliefs. Uh, the example that the scripture. Uh, gives us, it portrays, it tells us about uh, what happened during the crucifixion of Jesus himself, uh, the fact that um, when Jesus died, he went to paradise, or his spirit, the spirit of God went to paradise. It was separated from the body and went to paradise. But two things happened uh, during that time. The scripture tells us, and everybody knows, that he led captivity captive. And that's portrayed uh, by most denominations as he emptied out paradise and took those individuals to heaven. But also, at the crucifixion, we are told that uh, uh, there were Old Testament saints that were brought back to life. Well, the church overlooks the fact that those were Old Testament saints. They were raised back to life. And if, in fact, they were, and the Bible says they were, they had to have, like Lazarus or anybody else that Jesus uh, raised back from the dead during his ministry, had to experience death again in the physical at the end of that life that they were raised back to. When those individuals that were believers, that were saints, died a second time, if you will, they died under the new covenant full members of that covenant. They didn't die believers, Old Testament saints. They died new Christians. Jesus Christ, or God, separated a portion of the Old Testament saints by taking some spiritually to heaven and raising others back to life under the new covenant. He separated them into two groups in the past. Anybody who looked that up in the Bible, uh, those two two events happened. They both happened at the time of the crucifixion. They can't be denied. And what I tell individuals that, well, you're telling me God wouldn't separate the church. He's already done the exact same thing with the Old Testament saints. Why wouldn't he do the same thing, just from that perspective, with the church, when there's so many scriptures that uh, uh, allude to or suggest that? We're back at Future Quake with Dr. Future. And Tom partially petting the lapdog, but partially not. Yeah. Bionic. Everything's partial this time. It's all partial. Hey, let me just mention uh, real quick, I'll mention it later this week, that this teaching uh, is not just something that Reverend White, although he has his own reasons, he found scripture, mm-hmm. it's not out of the blue. Some of the some of the theologians that I most highly respect, like George Pember and others, mm-hmm. were the ones they were at least sympathetic to this. Well, they yeah they they had it, and they're some most brilliant men I ever knew. Yeah. Someone else who's brilliant is Merv, who can tell you how to contact us at FutureQuake. FutureQuake radio broadcasts are archived at www.futurequake.com, suitable for downloading or streaming, as well as other show information. Email Doctor Future and Tom Bionic at Doctor Future at futurequake.com. That's D-R-F-U-T-U-R-E at futurequake.com. Tell us your name, city, and radio station or internet, and if we can use your name on air. Comments on the show's topics or guests or suggestions for future show topics or guests are most welcome. 
Dr. Future and Tom will discuss selected emails each week during the radio broadcast. Okay, got to go. Let's get out of here. Come back for the next segment tomorrow. Until then, we hope your future is always bright. Have a good day. Bye. Join us next time as we dare to experience another aftershock of a future quake. Quake, quake, quake. Welcome to the Tuesday edition of the Future Quake Show. I am Dr. Future. And I'm partially raptured Tom Bionic, but still here. I'm glad most of you are still here. <laughs> Hopefully it's the part I like. Yep. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, we've been having a very interesting interview this week. Uh, this is our second installment coming up with Reverend J.W. White, uh, author of The Partial Rapture Theory Explained, Escaping the Coming Storm. And we're talking about evidence in Scripture suggesting a possible conditional rapture which may raise a lot of eyebrows out there, but I can tell you some brilliant people like George Pember and G.H. Lang and Robert Govett and all these guys who are far ahead of the current Bible prophecy writers today back in the in the mm-hmm. 19th century, mm-hmm. they were of this camp. Well, well, are you going are you going partial rapture? I'm not, you know, this is education for me. I'm taking all this in and comparing notes and I want to be known all, about all of it. I I'm taking it seriously and I want to be prepared for when the time comes that uh, I can be ready for anything based upon serious studies of the Word. Yeah. Well, I, I respect the gentleman, uh, first of all, for his, for his humble, forthright nature, uh, and second of all, for the fact that he seems to have really paid the price. Mm-hmm. You know, he's like, look, this is what I believe, and I'm sticking to my guns. Mm-hmm. And then third of all, for, and most importantly, that he really seems to have done a serious treatment of the, of the study, you know. And he didn't sweep scriptures under the rug. That's one thing I'd like to see more. Uh, We'll let you all be the judge. Uh, Here's the second segment with uh, Reverend uh, Chip White, and we'll be back to discuss it here further at Future Quake. This is the kind of thinking that really gives one something to to chew on and think about when they read your book. Um, So so you're saying there basically was a precedent established for in whatever God's economy is, his plans, for separating out a different, at least temporary destiny for those that are that are part of his uh, covenant body at, at whatever time in the dispensation that's occurring, uh, and that 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 type of activity may occur yet again. And one of the areas where I find that you point that out very explicitly is in the letters to the churches of Revelation. Now, these churches, people have thought for millennia. Uh, about the significance of these churches. Were they just talking to the churches at that time in the first century? Were they uh, archetypes of seven different kinds of churches throughout the church age? Were they ones that looked at sequential ages of the church? Uh, and people have tried to get their arms around this. But but you take a little bit different approach in that you, you take a very literalistic approach to the things that Jesus tells each church and a, a separate activities going on in each and a separate destiny for each based upon their activities and the nature of their relationship with him. Can you elaborate on that a little bit further? I know that's a huge question to ask you, but particularly the churches at Philadelphia, Thyatira, and Laodicea were three in particular that you that you spent a lot of time on. Can you can you share how, how he dealt individually with each of them th- that would support your, your belief in this conditional rapture? Yes, the... Uh the seven churches of Revelation, I was, you know, through dispensationalism, and that's what I didn't, I didn't know that's what it was called, but that's what I learned growing up, of course. Uh, the seven churches of dispensationalism, dispensationalism teaches that the churches of Revelation, Revelations uh, represent 
won. Uh, each and every one of them were selected because in their day there were seven individual churches uh, that had problems and didn't have problems, and they were used as examples of the the ages that the church would go through throughout its entire lifetime, which is the church age, or the you know approximately 2,000 years of the church age. Now, we can look back in history, and, and many Bible scholars, dispensational Bible scholars, have documented uh, the ages. Anybody buys several of those books that uh, 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 diagram all those different ages. Some Bibles have it in there. Uh, Tim LaHaye's got a Bible mm-hmm. out right now that's got excellent notes uh, concerning that. But I found in the study of the book of Revelation that uh, as I studied the seven churches, I saw in, not just in my life, but the lives that I was exposed to, uh, the, the example of the church was a life in the church today. Uh, yes, all seven churches were literal churches in John's day. Uh, yes, the seven churches can, and I believe do, represent the stages and ages that the church has gone through through the church age. But each and every one of us can study intensely these seven churches' revelations, and there's no doubt in my mind that each and every one of us individually can find our own Fellowship, not relationship. Our relationship is a child of God. In all seven churches, we're all saved. The ones that were being spoken to inside the church. Now, yes, in the local church, there were lost individuals, but the book of Revelation was not written to the lost. It was written to the servants of God. You can find right. that in the first chapter. But we can find our own situation, our own fellowship, or as I say in my book, lack thereof inside it at least two, uh, sometimes three, of the churches of Revelation. When you find yourself or the relationship that you have with the Lord Jesus Christ and with God through him, uh, the warnings and the blessings that are contained in those passages apply to each and every one of us individually. And I, I sincerely believe that. So each and every one of us can uh, learn individually, inside of our own life, what our fellowship is with God through Jesus Christ in the Spirit and correct any and all uh, shortcomings that we may or may not have. Okay. Well, and in fact, in each of those representations of, of fellowships, Jesus points out specifically their strengths, their weaknesses, and then tells them what will be the ramifications if they don't straighten up, and then also tells them the blessings if they do. Uh, can you? And, and I think the, the, these passages that you wrote in your book about these churches was some of your strongest evidence in support of your position. Can you explain uh, some details about, for example, the three churches I mentioned, and, and how what was told there supports your claim of conditional rapture? regarding the church at Philadelphia, as well as Thyatira and Laodicea. How does that information Jesus you know, uh, uh, delivers there in those three churches support your position? Okay. The, um, all churches, but with the rapture specifically, that's, that's, that's what's dealing with uh, uh, Philadelphia and 
Thyatira, or I heard it pronounced Theatera one time, <laughs> and uh, and Laodicea. In studying the churches, uh, when I was younger, I I, I felt like the uh, I was taught the rapture, uh, and I learned the rapture, and then I studied the rapture on my own. And Philadelphia was the example that I was taught uh, concerning uh, the rapture. Who is an example of us? Uh, Philadelphia, uh, they were the one given the open door. And uh, Revelation chapter 3, verse 10 says, Because thou hast kept the word of my patience, I also will keep thee from the hour of temptation, which will come upon all the world to try them that dwell upon the earth. Well, that is a description of the Great Tribulation period, except for the fact Great Tribulation period is not mentioned. It's just keep thee from the hour of temptation. So however correct that interpretation is, it is an interpretation. Mm-hmm. Uh, the thing about uh, Thyatira or Theatira, uh, the great tri- or not the but great tribulation. The only uh, form of it that's mentioned in the scriptures mentioned three times: once by Jesus uh, in the New Testament, uh, once here, and then once later on by an elder to John. And we'll get to that because that is immensely important. But uh, the the time it's mentioned concerning Theatera is, Behold, I will cast her into a bed, and them that commit adultery with her into great tribulation, except they repent of their deeds. My argument concerning uh, the great tribulation and the rapture is it's interpreted out of Philadelphia, but the church ignores the fact that it's a direct translation to Theatera. Mm -hmm. And when I teach on the great tribulation and Theatera, uh, verse 22, Behold, I will cast you into a bed, and then that commit adultery. Jesus is speaking. The individuals that are committing adultery, you can't commit adultery against anybody that you're not, at least in the Hebrew sense, engaged to. The engagement right. process to the Hebrew, to the Israelite, was part of the marriage ceremony. It was binding. Uh, in our mm-hmm. society, you get engaged and change your mind, you just... Right. You know, tell the individual, and it's over with. Have an annulment. Well, so what you're saying is, Israelite, you know, uh, culture and tradition, it was a, it was a binding agreement. They had to be Christians. The marriage was not to be uh, completed. A writing of divorcement had to be put forth. Right. And the individuals that being talked to by Jesus Christ are committing adultery against the speaker, and the individuals that do not repent of their deeds are going to be cast into great tribulation. And this passage, verse 22, is one of the proof passages that there actually there's going to be a pre-tribulation rapture. A lot of people don't believe that, that the rapture is not pre-tribulational. Well, it mentions great tribulation. This passage confirms that somebody is not going into great tribulation. The only individual that meets that criteria is the bride of Christ, who is, of course, encased inside the church. Okay, so let me make sure I understand here. Uh, you were making the point that those in, in Thyatira who are actually doing um, uh, adultery, by definition being adultery, they had to be espoused originally to Jesus, to, to, to God. Therefore, they were Christians by definition. Right. And that if there wasn't a real, and, and I guess here's the supposition, and this is a supposition not just you, but other people who teach prophecy, is that when the tribulation is talked about in there, you're saying if it's the great tribulation that we know in the 70th week of Daniel, it's the same great tribulation in all of the letters to the churches. 
if it's referring to it and one it's referring to it at all. So if one church in Philadelphia, because of the, there, there are things listed in there, and you talk about it in your book, things like patience, uh, hope, the, these other attributes that God associates with those who are ready to become the bride of Christ, but those attributes, he says, will lead to you being left away from this hour of temptation. But then when the tribulation is spelled even more explicitly in Thyatira, there is a real threat that these Christians will go through it. And unless it's a hollow threat, and Jesus is making a vain threat, and in other words being deceptive, which heaven forbid, then, then that threat is real, that if they proceed like this and don't repent, that they will experience the tribulation period. Is that correct? That, that is correct. Now, uh, hmm. Philadelphia, verse 10, pre-tribulation is to use that as, see, we're not going through the Great Tribulation. Overlook the condition that is, that is placed inside that passage itself. Philadelphia was going to be kept from the hour of temptation, which we interpret as the Great Tribulation, that I agree with. Right. But why? Ask the Scripture why. Because thou hast kept the word of my patience. And if you don't know what the word of the Lord's patience is, how are you going to keep it? Are all Christians, somebody telling me all Christians are keeping uh, the word of his patience, doesn't make it so. You have to discover what is the word of his patience. And the, um, the kicker here is that John identified himself as meeting that qualification, uh, Well, and you go exhaustively in your book in verses that talk about the association of being patient and waiting on the Lord and the hope of the Lord and that being a criteria to be found worthy to be prepared to meet him or to be called up. There's a a repeated association in Scripture uh, that's also consistent in Revelation in the way you're reading it here, correct? Mm Mm-hmm. Now, um, you know, this, this, this kind of association that you're talking about, and each of the churches are dealt differently in what their shortcoming is and their strength. Uh, many people look at these churches as being a sequential, chronological, basically eras or epochs in the history of the church age. And they would say, well, Philadelphia was kept from it because... Um, it's not going to be on their watch. It's going to be on the Laodiceans' watch that comes after them. But but the fact of the matter is, if the Philadelphians were living a lifestyle that qualified them for the rapture, then it wouldn't necessarily be any kind of blessing to postpone the rapture for the next era if that was true. So it's sort of a self-defeating argument. That's that, a good point on account. That's one of the things that I... I was looking at the seven churches when I was younger, and uh, the point that you're making is that, well, if... Philadelphia is promised to be kept from the hour of temptation being the Great Tribulation. Philadelphia should have been the last church in the list. Right. And it's not. Laodicea is. And it's not uh, e- even, right. And even if they said, well, look, it's, it's going to be postponed. You know, this hour of temptation is going to be postponed. Well, if they were going to be raptured anyway, uh, it really wouldn't have harmed them anyway. They would have been called out. Therefore, it really wasn't any kind of blessing for them unless... A description, like you said, is pertinent, is that the, the, these different churches can be coincident and exist at the same time in the last days. Yes, they, uh, you say in theory, each and every individual Christian alive today uh, 
is part and parcel of uh, two or three of the churches by example. The churches, the all seven churches' revelations are example to all of us individually today for us to learn from. Mm. Right. Now, the Laodicea being the last one on the list, uh, that is, uh, of course, now, I've, you know, of course, I've been ridiculed for, for many of my teachings. They're out on the fringe, I've been told. But uh, Laodicea, that. Well, welcome the, uh, to Future Quake, yeah, then. That means that yeah. means you're in good company. <laughs> You've hit home, <laughs> then. <brother. laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but the one verse, verse 16 says, so then, so then, because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. And uh, uh, that spew thee out of my mouth, it could be interpreted as, uh, as, as I've been teaching, you know, the, the, the conditional rapture or partial rapture, as I learned it was actually called when I discovered there was a partial rapture. But in literal terms, I asked the scripture, I asked the Lord, you know, well, if, there's a, if there's a literal meaning to that, uh, I'd like to know it. And then uh, that was the second proof of the uh, separation, if you will. Uh, that's found in the same chapter where you, where you find the teaching of God separated the Old Testament saints into two groups. And that's scriptural. Uh, he did that. Anybody can look those two two things up they have it at the same time but so then because thou art lukewarm uh and neither cold nor hot i will spew thee out of my mouth as i say in my book i was taught growing up that see because of that those individuals that are that are uh uh neither cold nor hot uh they make god sick to his stomach well that's not what the scripture says uh i think the bible should be taken literal if it does not suggest an illustration uh symbolism uh, God is going to literally spew thee out of my mouth, as he said. And the proof text of that is the fact that we're in Laodicea. And if you'll go to the book of Colossians, toward the end of the book of Colossians, uh, Laodicea and Colossian churches, the, the cities were, were uh, uh, close to one another within uh, uh, mm-hmm. just a few miles. And they shared a lot of uh, fellowship. And when Paul wrote to Colossae, he also wrote to Laodicea, and he told each one of them hmm. in the book of Colossians, he told, well, y'all read the book of Laodicea, the, the letter that I wrote to Laodicea, and you make sure that uh, uh, this one is read to them. And I was, I was uh, listening to the Bible at that time. I would suggest that to any believer, uh, not just read, not just study. But get the Bible on tape, or now it's DVD, you know, uh, video, I mean, uh, audio, and listen as well as have it read to you. That uh, That's how I found the fact through Colossians and Laodicea is mentioned, and I went to the, op- opened my Bible and went to the passages, and one being told to read the letter to the other one, and vice versa. And Laodicea, there's not a letter in our scripture, it was not canonized. And I don't think that's a coincidence. The fact that Laodicea was disobedient, was told if they didn't straighten up, they were going to be spewing out of Jesus' mouth. I will spew thee out of my mouth. And that letter was left out of the Word of God. I don't think that's a coincidence. Well, you know, just reflecting further on this in Laodicea, 
you had talked about the the robes as being sort of a sign of salvation, if I remember correctly. Um, they were called that they were naked. But he counseled them to buy white robes. And what you see later is the martyrs, presumably martyrs of the tribulation period, and they're getting white robes. So I'm assuming those are people from the Laodicean church at a minimum that are getting the white robes that Jesus had counseled them to get. And they were robes that were only available through uh, suffering, tribulation, that God is doing a work. If, if, if I understand where you're going with this, you know, Christ says that he, he, he is going to complete a work in us. He's faithful to complete a work. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you talk about the things that we're supposed to be patient and hope, have hope. I see many times in Scripture that trials and tribulations work with patience in long-suffering in people. It's nice to get it through wisdom, through 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 reading God's word and to embrace it because of the wisdom of God's word. But if we don't get it that way, trials and tribulations will work it in us. Now, I'm not trying to say that the rest of the church around the world, in China and places like that, that they're just naturally impatient people and that's why God's doing it. There can be other reasons for his glory and why he does it. But it is an effective way for Christ to get us to where we need to be. Yes. To, to be in his kingdom, you know, yes. to be ready for his kingdom. Is there an association there that those who have not adopted those traits of patience and hopefulness, long, you know, perseverance and long-suffering, Christ will use tribulation like this, even a great tribulation, to be able to get them to that state? Yeah, the, uh, the fact that Christ says, uh, you know, you are naked, and that reference is in the Scripture, uh, not the fact that they are not saved, uh, right. the Scripture teaches us eternal security, but uh, one uh, one place in the Scripture it's told to put on Christ. You know, clothe ourselves with the Spirit. All Christians have, you can look at it this way, all Christians have the Spirit of God indwelling them. God takes up residence in our heart and in our life, is the way we put it. But to be clothed by Him... All Christians do not uh, follow the ways of God, and we don't, we don't uh, walk in the Spirit as we should. Right. That could be uh, associated uh, with those teachings, could be interpreted that way, if you will. Okay. A- a- another point that I noticed from your book, and we're only hitting the high spots. Our listeners will have to get your book to really go into the meat of what you lay out in this, is that each one of these letters of the churches, God... Gives very through Christ gives very explicit details of their strengths and weaknesses and tells them you better do this or this is going to happen to you. And throughout much of the church, we brush over the or is this is going to happen to you. Don't really take it that seriously. Um, maybe being afraid that the implication would be that somehow we would admit that these people were losing their salvation if they didn't repent or something like that. So people just don't talk about it. And you have presented an alternative that there could be a big price to pay. And you're not the first person to do this. I mean, there have been other well, great scholars before you that have mentioned this. They also were not popular. When, uh, I, was stu- yeah, when I was studying denominations, I came across uh, passages that appeared to teach what the denomination that I was studying at the time taught. But that contradicted that teaching, that, that doctrine, 
contradicted what I knew to be the truth uh, concerning salvation and not to look for an alternate to be different than everybody else. What I was looking for, you know, what I considered was the truth. And uh, what I found is, is, of course, what I teach today. I was, I've been accused uh, now for the last many years that I've been uh, teaching this, of uh, teaching a uh, works uh, doctrine, a works salvation, and it's not. It's not, a, it's not a matter of working. Works are a byproduct of obedience to God. That's all works are. Mm-hmm. They're a byproduct. As long as you're obedient to God and you serve Him, works will follow. They're going to take place. And, and uh, God, of course, He sees everything, but the people around you can see the fruits of your labor, if you will, uh, but they don't. They won't get you saved, and they won't keep you saved. What keeps what what gets you saved is a surrender to God, to the truth. Uh, Jesus is Christ. Jesus Christ, salvation, uh, if you will, uh, Him in our place. That's the way some people put it. Uh, there's some there's some deep 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 teachings. The church, in my opinion, doesn't actually know what took place inside that sacrifice. And that's very, very interesting. I allude to that in the book, mm-hmm. but I don't explain it because it's deep. But uh, uh, getting back to the works in salvation, you can't. Uh, there's, there, you can't be good enough. You can't do enough. Uh, you can't get worthy enough. All you can do is have a sincere heart. God looks at our heart. Look at David. Mm-hmm. Look at all of the wrong David did in his life. But God knew his heart even when he was out of, if you will, out of fellowship with God. God knew his heart and what, did he, you know, what his want to was and what his eventual state would be. So God looks at our heart, and he knows who's sincere and who's not, and that's uh, by which what God judges is what our heart is. Well, Brother Chip, you don't even have to explain this. You let Scripture do your explaining for you in your book. And I would suggest people read the book of James if they want to have a little bit better understanding of the balance uh, that we're talking about here. But, you know, we, we, we serve a, a father uh, who wants his children to be about his business. And he also says he's one who who rewards his children. And so uh, that that's the nature of the parables, play that same kind of theme up. So we need to take it seriously. We're back at Future Quake with Dr. Future. And Tom, not here, but sort of am, Bionic. <laughs> hey, what do you think about his case made by looking at the seven churches in Revelation? And You know, I've actually, I've actually taught the connection between the seven churches and uh, the different churches there in Revelation a couple of times, so I found that particularly interesting. I wish we had more time to talk about it, but yep. Merv needs to tell our listeners how to contact us at Future Quake. Future Quake radio broadcasts are archived at www.futurequake.com, suitable for downloading or streaming, as well as other show information. Email Dr. Future and Tom Bionic at drfuture at futurequake.com. That's D-R-F-U-T-U-R-E at futurequake.com. Tell us your name, city, and radio station or internet, and if we can use your name on air. Comments on the show's topics or guests or suggestions for future show topics or guests are most welcome. Dr. Future and Tom will discuss selected emails each week during the radio broadcast. Sorry we got to run, buddy. Speaking of partially raptured. Okay. Well, we got to go, but until then, we hope your future is always bright. Have a good day. Bye-bye. Join us next time 
as we dare to experience another aftershock of a future quake. quake, quake, quake. Welcome to the Wednesday edition of the Future Quake Show. I am Dr. Future. I am Tom, partially flawed, partially not. Bionic. People have no idea what that means. That's like another foreshadowing thing. Except it's not tied to anything. Well, vaguely it is. It's like a dangling participle. Just mm, out there. Participle. Well, uh, speaking of I don't know what, uh, we have <laughs> our third installment today with uh, Brother Chip White, uh, also known as Reverend J.W. White, the author of The Partial Rapture Theory Explained, Escaping, Escaping the Coming Storm. And we're talking about evidence in Scripture suggesting a possible conditional rapture. A uh, very controversial topic, which means it's ideally suited for our show. Yep, controversy quake. Here and we go. There have been some genius prophecy writers in centuries past who adopted this position, so do not so categorically sweep it under the rug. You're gonna, if you've not picked it up already this week, this gentleman takes the scriptures with a fine tooth comb and draws his own conclusions based upon explicit word by word pictures. Mm-hmm. And we may have listeners out there who we, we got some crackerjack prophecy students that'll find an issue and we'll find this and this and that. And I'm sure he would encourage emails from you or send them to us. Yep. And, uh, but it will stimulate our study of the word and that's what's most important. So. There you go. No further ado. Here's uh, Brother Chip White, and then we'll be right back to wrap up here at Future Quake. I want to move on and ask you about uh, some challenges that people might make. For speaking on behalf of our listeners out there that that might be thinking about these questions, how do you respond to critics who point out that Scripture says that we are not appointed to wrath? It says right there in Scripture, in that the Thessalonians passage that says we will all be changed. Okay, well, those are those are not two different subjects, but they're two uh, two different points. Uh, hold on to that thought. <laughs> but the um, the Thessalonian passage does not mention the word all. That's not contained in that passage. That's the First Corinthian passage. In the, I'm sorry, I may. I thought, I'm sorry, I thought, okay, sorry, the wrong that, one. That, yeah, uh, chapter fifteen, verses fifty through fifty-four, right. and uh, the uh, Paul does say all that is an absolute fact uh and i have heard preachers preach the fact that uh you see the word says right there it says all so all of us are going to be changed but i challenge back each and every person when they're reading the bible to look at each and every individual uh book who Jesus was speaking to through the writer, who God was speaking to through the writer. Uh, you can go to the beginning of 1 Corinthians and get a good idea of that. Uh, but chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians, where that passage is found, at the very first verse, he says, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye had received. Well, that's salvation. Mm-hmm. All of us, all believers, all Christians have received uh, that gospel, the good news, that's a fact. But he goes on to say, and wherein ye stand. He was speaking to the individuals who were standing in that gospel, not just the individuals who had received it. Mm-hmm. All Christians have received it, but not all stand inside that gospel and stand 
uh, you know, clothe themselves with the Spirit and walk in the Spirit in their life. And that's who he was speaking to in uh, verses 50 to 54 when he said all. He included himself, but the group being spoken of, because he doesn't say all Christians, he doesn't say all believers, he doesn't say all, he just says all. Well, he was speaking to the individuals who were standing in the gospel, not just in reception of it. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, and what was the second part of that question? Well, and, and let me just make a comment, too, on these groups that had these questions that he responded to. They, the presumption would be that they, that they are wanting to be close to the Lord because they even have these questions to begin with. They, they, they diligently are seeking the Lord and want to be with him and also want to be with their loved ones. And therefore, they have the concerns that Paul was responding to. So they're already very much engaged in their faith to be asking those questions. The, the second question was regarding those who say, uh, from Scripture, says that we were not appointed into wrath. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Um, well, uh, in, in literal terms, and, and almost all denominations are going to disagree with me on that, as far as I know, that... Uh, uh, of course, the, the bride is not going to experience any wrath of God. We're going to be, and I hope I'm included, uh, as Paul at one point in his, his ministry, as he wrote, uh, we'll, we'll get to that, uh, hoped he was included, that he not, had not attained yet, had not considered himself attained, but he was still striving for it. But that uh, the bride's not going to experience any of that. But what's left of the church, that's what I explained. Once the bride is taken out of the church, literally the church no longer exists as an entity because the church is uh, faithful and unfaithful believers. So when the faithful are taken out, only the unfaithful are left. And they become the first members of the tribulation saints after the rapture as the great tribulation period sets in whether it's days, whether it's weeks, or whether it's months later. But they enter into the Great Tribulation period. Uh, chapter 6 and Chapter 7 of Revelation, you mentioned it before, the souls under the altar that were crying out to God, how long, O God, holy and true, uh, do you not avenge our deaths? They died inside the first half of the Great Tribulation period. In fact, they died between the fifth and the sixth seal. They are seen resurrected right after that. Mm -hmm. uh, but they are told, you must wait a little while until your brethren and your fellow servants, two classes of individuals inside the Great Tribulation period, are killed as you were. Mm -hmm. In other words, most, if not all, I can't prove through Scripture that all, every single, I can't imagine every single individual believer uh, uh, being put to death inside the first half of the Great Tribulation period, but the largest majority of the bulk are going to die, going to be martyred for their faith. When they uh, are saved inside the Great Tribulation period, which is the first portion of it, or they turn back to God in their faith, being already saved and being entered into the Great Tribulation period. Uh, that's why you could say the remainder of the church uh, and I believe it's the greatest majority of the church, is actually going to die inside the first half of the Great Tribulation period. They will not be alive for what's considered the wrath of God, which is the second half. So no okay. believer is appointed under wrath simply because of that fact, if not by interpretation of other scriptures. 
Okay, so when God intervenes sometime in the second half of that 70th week, and we know it's God pouring down his wrath as opposed to the Antichrist, you assume those believers are going to virtually all or close to be gone uh, at that period of time because of the work of the Antichrist. That's correct. Actually, actually, I might throw this in there, that uh, the first half of the Great Tribulation period, the powers that be, whoever, whatever anybody believes that to be, uh, the powers that be will be focused almost entirely on the persecution of the church. And that's why, uh, or what's left of the church, uh, that's why they're, they're you know, eventually going to be the biggest majority, if not all, put to death. Then after the, uh, the uh, Antichrist enters, the, of course, the uh, rebuilt temple of the Great Tribulation period and desecrates it, uh, breaks his uh, agreement, the covenant, with Israel. He'll turn to Israel, and Israel will see a persecution like they have never seen. Mm-hmm. That's why the Great Tribulation is designated with that title, as Jesus mm-hmm. says in Olivet Discourse. Uh, this world has never seen the like of what's going to take place during mm-hmm. that time. Well, it sounds like it's uh, almost the time is, is is to prepare the the um, the inactive part of the church as well as Israel both uh, to to meet their Savior. Uh, one in the first half and the other in the second half. Uh, there's a similar work going on in effect. Yeah, yeah you could yeah, you could put it that way. Uh, I've been accused of teaching that the uh, uh, portion of the church that enters into the great tribulation period must be tried by fire and cleansed. That's not uh, that's that's not that's not true. That's not what I teach. The great tribulation period was set aside in the future by God to turn Israel back to her true Messiah. That's mm-hmm. what the entire seven years is for. What takes place is the disobedient portion of the church gets caught up in the Great Tribulation simply because of unbelief in the Blessed Hope and being unprepared for whatever mm-hmm. reason mm-hmm. Uh, for be, be, that coming. Being the five virgins who do not have oil in their lamps, for example. It, most people who teach anything similar to this, they do, they do use that parable. I don't disagree with it, but right. I have never used that because there are portions of that parable that that do not right can yeah cannot be placed inside some of my teachings. Now I won't disagree with the right. with the teaching because I agree with the teaching, but that particular passage mm-hmm. I have a couple of problems with. Yeah, you didn't mention it. Yeah, you didn't mention your book. It was just my own comment here. Right. I, 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 I want to switch gears just a little bit. Right. Uh, something else I found fascinating about your book. Can you please clarify the difference? Between what you what you, you say it says in Scripture is the second time of his appearance, <laughs> the one verse where it says it actually his second time, and and then also the glorious appearing, and and why you think Scripture designates in that way, and and then show how that's paralleled in Christ's own earthly ministry. Yeah, well, we have a title. It's called the Second Coming, and uh, it's taught by almost all denominations that you'll call the return of the Lord the Second Coming. Actually, the term second coming doesn't appear in the Scripture. Those two words don't appear together in a passage speaking of a return of Jesus Christ. The closest thing that we have to that phrase is found in Hebrews uh, 
chapter 9, verses 28, and actually 27 goes along with that. I, I, I detail that in my book. This is one of the first passages that I stumbled upon that I had a problem with. Uh, I was looking for the second coming, and I couldn't find it, and it's not in there, as far as I know. Uh, anybody who wants to correct me on anything that I say, I want to be right. And if, uh, if somebody can correct me in any uh, not through interpretation, but through the Word of God, uh, I'll accept the Word of God. But verse 28 says, uh, So Christ is once offered to bear the sins of many. And all of us can agree, agree on those those phrases, those words, those teachings. Uh, Christ is once offered to bear the sins of many. And unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time. Our Lord Jesus Christ has already appeared once. I believe anybody who's a believer would agree with that. He walked this earth physically, uh, incarnated as a man. He was God manifested in the flesh. That was his first coming. When he left in his ascension, uh, multiple times before that ascension, he promised to return. Uh, he is going to return. When he returns, it will be the second time when he's going to appear. This is the only passage in the Scripture that meets that. Brother Chip, let me let me just point in that passage you just read. The purpose is pointing out the second time, but but the elephant in the room of that verse that, that to me, if you point out consistently in your verses, is that it says, if they look for him, he will appear for them a second time. Amen. People exactly what do not is. people do not want to ask the obvious converse, which is, if they are not looking for them. Is he not appearing for him a, them a second time? I believe time? that's what that passage... Well, the way I study the Scripture and explain it is there's two sides to every coin. When the Bible tells you about something, it also insinuates, implies, makes clear something that it's not mentioning. It's the other side of that coin. This passage does not agree with the mm -hmm. passage of Revelations 1-7 when Jesus Christ is coming in his glory and every eye shall see him. That's what that scripture says. Right. There's going to be a time when Jesus appears, and every eye shall see him, according to the word of God. Well, this passage here says, Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many, and unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto mm -hmm. salvation. That, 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 those that, two passages don't right. agree. That qualifier would not have been at the beginning of that verse, I presume, unless it meant something. It meant something. That it was a warning for people that if you do this, then he will appear a second time. Okay, so that verse twenty-seven into this, there's a there's a a misquote, and it's not it, it it's misquoting the passage. The teaching is you've heard them, you know, it is appointed unto men once to die, and after this the judgment. Right. Well, that's true. That's that's a fact. But that's verse twenty-seven. The teaching of verse twenty-eight, I believe, what I have taught concerning that verse, what it says. You can tell me, well, that, that's not what it means. Well, fine, that's not what it means, but that's what it says, and I'll agree with what it says. I trust the Lord. I thought he, I think he meant what he said. But verse 27 says, And as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment, so Christ is once offered to bear the sins of many. The facts of verse 28 are absolutely positively as solid as you dying and facing God for judgment. What's true in verse 28 is just as true as you dying and facing God. Okay, That's show how, how true the teaching of verse 28 are. Show, how, show again how 27 and 28 connect to each other. 
And as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment, so Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many. And unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. That's interesting. So so the comparison, he's contrasting the the it was first the death and then a time of judgment and then he's com- then the comparison is to the act that Christ is doing compared to each of those two phases, correct? Uh, I didn't hear all of that. Well, we'll just explain clearly how the two the two aspects of Christ appearing connect to the two aspects of verse 27. Oh, okay. I see that. Yeah. As it, uh, Revelation 1-7, all eyes shall see him when he comes. That's the glorious appearing. It's detailed in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, all three of them in the, in the Olivet Discourse. And uh, uh, this one uh, contradicts with that if you take in consideration every single phrase of the word. Uh, I refuse to ignore anything the scripture offers me. And without, hey, can I be misinterpreted? Absolutely, I'm fallible. But the word's not, and it's in there, and that's what it says. Whether it means that or not, that is what it says, and I'll stand on what it says. Them that look for him shall he going to appear to when he comes the second time. And that description of his coming in 28 does not agree with Revelations 1-7. Mm-hmm. So I can only assume there's going to be two comings of the Lord in our future. Now, when the, the, the other coming, when it says every eye shall see him, you call that the glorious appearing, right? And that's generally how it's alluded to, something akin to that in other that's passages. That's described, yes. Okay, in other passages. Now, the other thing I found fascinating is that how you, to further reinforce what you take from literally from Scripture, the, the archetype of Christ's earthly ministry and how there were two aspects in which he was recognized at the beginning of his time here on earth and then right near the end and how it compares to these two events of, of his second coming and then his glorious appearing. Can you explain the connection? I, I think I think what you what you're talking about is in the book where and, and that is uh, could be considered uh, that is just an illustration. Uh, it's it's an illustration straight out of the scripture. Uh, I thought what I thought of early in early in early in these teachings is well if if that is if that is portrayed it should be portrayed if that is true it should be portrayed in Christ's life. Right. Uh, and I would think at the beginning and the ending of his life. And then when I thought that to myself, whether my spirit or the Holy Spirit talking back to me, uh, in an instant, I recognized the similarities. I don't teach right. or preach this. I'm not dogmatic about it. But it's a, it's, it's a, a very coincidental coincidence <laughs> that uh, when Jesus was born, the Bible does not, in, his, in the, the first his his first uh, arrival into this world, uh, which was actually close to Jerusalem and Bethlehem, the scripture only records that there were two people there, uh, Joseph and Mary, uh, just two people out of the whole of Israel. And uh, that would uh, coincide with the teachings of the conditional rapture in that only a small portion and a small percentage of the church being faithful, being accounted worthy, not worthy, but accounted worthy, 
are going to be taken in the rapture. And then when you look down toward the end of his life, uh, when he entered the city of Jerusalem uh, during the triumphant entry, uh, literally all of Israel and the surrounding uh, uh, countryside uh, uh, came to meet him and proclaimed him uh, king of Israel upon his mm-hmm. entry. And uh, I, I thought it uh, not strange, but uh, like I said, you know, coincidental, that uh, those two comings, if you will, would uh, uh, coincide and be uh, in similitude uh, right. to the rapture and the glorious appearing. Well, can I can I elaborate on that because I, I I know I know you're implying like I would that this is only meant to be supporting information. The key is the literal reading of Scripture itself Absolutely. for this teaching, but it provides some additional reinforcement. Uh, the other thing that I think it more interesting, or additionally about his first appearing, was that there were just a few others who became aware of his first appearing. Those were the wise men who were looking for him. The wise men were looking for him. They saw his star in the east, and they had been seeking the king. And because they were seeking him, watching, they were patient, they were in hope of it, they were privileged to be able to witness and encounter Christ. So Now, there were other religious leaders, other Jews, that were in good standing in their community, that were not seeking, not looking, and they were not aware and did not encounter Jesus in their own backyard. They did not see him, but there were people from far away, even people from a very foreign culture, but they were seeking him. They were watchful. They were doing the kind of things that he tells us to do now, and they were privileged for that encounter. Uh, and, and also, they, they didn't even make that information knowledgeable back to Herod and the others. They went back another way. So right. they departed. So these people, after they encountered Christ, they departed and they left the area Without the other religious people, the 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 backs and whatever you want to call them, even aware of that encounter afterwards, right. so they saw something happened. But even when Herod sent his men to go kill all the babies, they still didn't find Jesus. Why? Because Jesus was taken out of the land. They were scurried and and and, and took off. So I I think there's a lot to that archetype there, um, you know, that gives us food for thought. Now talking about this whole idea of watching being patient, uh, being in hope for Christ appearing. Can you give us some examples of the kind of scriptures that explicitly say that those are the kind of things we have to do to be ready for his appearing? You give a lot of them in your book. Can you share just a few? Yeah, I give a lot of them in my book. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I I haven't got all those notes uh, handy, but the... uh, uh, as we mentioned earlier, you know, God looks at the heart. Our heart has to be right in fellowship with God. But the um, all of those words uh, are listed and portrayed throughout the New Testament. Uh, well, I, I want to yeah, I want to challenge our listeners. If you go back and do a word search on those words, you'll you'll find consistently an association in verses, as you point out in your book. Of, of patience, of having patience, hope. Uh, these kind of things are required to be ready for his calling and his appearing. Well, I, I don't, I don't, the blessed hope, the, the hope that we, uh, the blessed hope we should be looking forward to, anticipation of most, this is the way I put it to one fellow one time, I hated to, hated to do that, but 
uh, I have met Christians that are not through with this life. Uh, uh, they look forward to being in heaven uh, someday, but they're not in a hurry to go. Uh, that's not the spirit that the Lord tells us to be in. I don't think it's a uh, coincidence that the blessed hope, the rapture, is termed hope in the scripture. Uh, we are to be looking forward to, we are to be anticipating uh, that arrival and uh, uh, in yearning for it and not tied to this world. And all those words that you mentioned uh, scattered throughout the New Testament and all those passages, that is, that is the essence, that is the teaching, that is the background of all of the content of those passages. But, but there's usually a criteria it, that it, the pre, it predicates on you doing those attributes to participate in, in witnessing that appearing. That's the other side of that coin. Uh, you, I, I challenged people in the past, uh, it's been a while since that's been done, but uh, you, you show me what you consider a rapture passage, no, that's the pre-tribulationist, but you show me a rapture passage, and I'll show you the inclusion or exclusion in that passage. There's going to be a phrase in there that suggests, that is suggestive of... Uh, you've either got to be doing something or not doing something else. Mm-hmm. And uh, mm-hmm. it's in there. I, I've never, yeah. I'm not aware of a passage that uh, teaches that uh, uh, time, that event, that uh, uh, without teaching the condition. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and you make a strong case of that in your book, and most teachers just sweep it under the rug. They. Uh, I, that's a shame. I just I I, I refuse refuse uh. to ignore scripture. Uh, almost any pastor, any preacher, any evangelist, any uh, man of God is you know going to say that. Oh well, mm-hmm. I don't either. Well, then I can pull out scripture and, and just not even teach it, but just read the passage like I did Hebrews nine twenty eight in a manner that probably you've never considered it or maybe you've never heard it. Well, I don't agree with it that way. He don't agree with the way I phrased it. Mm-hmm. But that's what the Word says. Mm-hmm. I refuse to ignore the wording of the Scripture. Welcome back to Future Quake. I'm Dr. Future. And I'm Tom, partially here, bionic. Partially here. Yeah. Uh, I, I think it's amazing that foreshadowing, uh, speaking of that, yeah. that uh, that he points out in Christ's life, particularly about the first mm-hmm. advent. Yep. And uh, it's sort of uncanny, the connection about those who were really seeking, the wise men who were seeking Jesus were the ones who actually got to meet him. I'll tell you, sometimes I wish the partial rapture would come and, like, rapture my taxes out of here. (laughs) Well, someone who could be raptured in here is Merv to tell everyone how to contact us at Future Quake. Future Quake radio broadcasts are archived at www.futurequake.com, suitable for downloading or streaming, as well as other show information. Email Dr. Future and Tom Bionic at drfuture at futurequake.com. That's D-R-F-U-T-U-R-E at futurequake.com. Tell us your name, city, and radio station or internet, and if we can use your name on air. Comments on the show's topics or guests or suggestions for future show topics or guests are most welcome. 
Dr. Future and Tom will discuss selected emails each week during the radio broadcast. Okay, we got to go. Okay, let's get out of here. Come back for the last installment with Brother Chip, and until then, we hope your future is always bright. Have a good day. Join us next time as we dare to experience another aftershock of a future quake. quake, quake, quake. Welcome to the Future Quake Show. I am Dr. Future. And I'm Tom, high-speed bionic. Because we don't have much time, we've got a long segment in our final segment with Brother Chip White, author of The Partial Rapture Theory Explained. So with no further ado, here's Pastor Chip. And another word that makes people uncomfortable that's usually in these passages is the word worthy. And I think you mentioned a, a thing with Paul. You know, we don't like to think that there'd be any criteria on us. And here we have Brother Paul saying... He hopes that he can become worthy to participate in it. Uh, and I don't know whether people feel like that they're, they're more righteous than him and that he's just got a problem and not us, but, but, but it, it's phrased that way. Now, maybe well, other people have answers to that, you know, uh, in Scripture, and they can explain it another way. But can, can you talk about the, the, this concept of worthy, and not, not in the context of salvation. You've made it very clear that, that it's, it's not our actions, or anything that makes us worthy for salvation, but but you pointed out this association of worthiness with the 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 rapture event or the the calling up. Can you explain that concept further in including some of the citations? I believe it's in Luke 21 that I believe Jesus talks about it, and possibly it even comes up in the church at Sardis. Can can you mention that a little bit about that? Now Luke Luke 21 verse uh, uh, 34 through 36. That is the crutch of the teachings. Um, let me get to that right quick. Hang on just a second. Tom, do you have any comments? Or? I'm just uh, trying to Luke, take it all in, man. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Luke 21, verses uh, 34 through 36. Is, uh, and take heed to yourselves. That's a warning. That's a warning. Uh, plain text. And take heed to yourselves, lest at any time your hearts be overcharged with surfeiting, and uh, surfeiting actually uh, uh, a headache from uh, the next thing mentioned, drunkenness, <laughs> and mm-hmm. cares of this life. That's a direct warning from Jesus Christ himself out of his own mouth. And the cares of this life, and so that day come upon you unawares. I don't believe in the fact that pre-tribulationists, okay, everybody, you know, the pre-tribulationists say, well, all the church, every single member of it, no matter no matter how far outside the will of God they are, no matter what kind of a life they're living, no matter how much disobedience uh, uh, they they live uh, in their fellowship with God or lack of fellowship, so that day come upon you unawares. I believe specifically if the day is unawares to you, you're going to see it just like the world does. It's going to take place to the world unbeknownst to its attention. The rapture is going to take place, and the world's not going to know it's happened until after the fact. In fact, I sincerely believe there's going to be so small a number of the church gone, it's going to be several days before the church knows anybody's gone, because only the individuals that were accounted worthy by God are going to be leaving. But uh, so that day come upon you unawares. That warning would not be given in the scripture if there was not a sincere consequence to the actions of the individuals it's describing 
For as a snare shall it come upon all them that dwell upon the face of the whole earth. Now it's going to come upon us. It's going to come like a snare to the world. And Jesus is stating that don't let that happen to you is basically what he's saying. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think he'd be saying that if it wasn't possible. Then he goes on in verse 36 to say, Watch you therefore and pray always that ye may be accounted worthy. None of us are worthy of salvation. It's a gift of right. God. Right. Uh, we're not, none of us are worthy to uh, be uh, included in the rapture. Every single one of us deserve hell for all eternity. But through God's grace are we uh, given the uh, oh, wonderful privilege to become the sons of God. And, and you study that, and man, that's a deep, deep teaching. We become a new creature in Christ. But, but be born this, unto him through the, the Spirit the, of God. This verse, Watch though. Therefore, pray yeah. always that you may be accounted worthy to escape. Uh, people have accused me of, you know, people who don't believe in the pre tribulation rapture. Uh, you're one of them escapists. Uh, yeah, I am. That's what the Scripture says. Jesus Christ used that word himself. Right. He's speaking of the Great Tribulation period. Luke 21 is teaching on the Great Tribulation period. That time, Jesus mentions an escape. Why wouldn't I think that's what he's talking about? But Why there's a requirement. Pray always yeah, th- that that's a requirement. That you may be worthy. Now, there's your uh, phrase right. that the pre-tribulationist... Uh, well, the way I place it is the pre-tribulationist denies that there's a worthiness to meet, there's a condition to meet, to be included in that escape, and the post-tribulationists deny that there's an escape at all. Well, both of them are talking about one passage. Right. All these things, that shall come to pass, the subject he's talking about, that's the great tribulation period, and to stand before the Son of Man. Well, what the point I'm making, this is very explicit here, it's not talking about a worthiness of righteousness that we would talk about as far as being righteous in our own selves. But it says, it gives us two commands. Jesus says to watch and to pray always. And it seems to be explicit here that that is a criteria, a requirement, to be accounted worthy to escape. Be in anticipation of the coming of... It's in the Lord's Prayer. Uh, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. That's the first thing we're supposed to be asking for in that prayer. That's the, that's the first thought we should be thinking of in the morning. That's the last thought we should be thinking of when we go to sleep. Thy kingdom come. O oh, Lord, yearning for your kingdom and it being set up. And it starts with the escape. Okay. Um, what about the church at Sardis? Aren't there some comments on there? Regarding them, regarding this issue of worthiness, uh, yeah, that's a that's a pretty good. Um, let me turn over there right quick. Sardist. Um, hopefully, our listeners maybe they've got their Bible a lot too and are looking at these scriptures too. Revelation chapter three, uh, the church of Sardis, that under the angel of the church of Sardis, right? Uh, Remember, therefore, how, that verse 3 says, Remember, therefore, how thou hast received and heard, and hold fast and repent, hold fast to that which is good, and repent from that which is bad. It's, I mean, that's just simple language. If, uh, if, there, if therefore thou shalt not, what? If therefore thou shalt not watch, watch, I will come on thee as a thief, and thou shalt not know. Thou shalt not know what hour I will come upon thee. Thou hast a few names, that's one of the points in my book, that's the, mm-hmm. the two sides of the coin, 
Thou hast a few names, even in Sardis, which have not defiled their garments. The mention of the few that have not defiled their garments, a few in the church, defines a majority mm. of individuals in the church who have defiled their garments. Right. And they're filthy, they're dirty, they're uh, uh, you know, not suitable, if you will. They shall walk with me in white, the ones who have not defiled their garments. They shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. Now, this does say uh, worthy and not accounted worthy, but we do know, cross-referencing Scripture with Scripture, that uh, we can, uh, you know and I know, that none of us are worthy, as we said so. But uh, God accounts us worthy through obedience, and only through obedience are we accounted worthy. But uh, the other side of that coin in that, it just amazes me how Scripture, uh, how God through His Scripture and through the Holy Spirit explains something even when he, it is not contained in the verse. By omission, right. God explains the other side of the coin. Well, and also, too, you point out in your book that there are two kinds of people in Sardis, those with garments that are white and those that are defiled. But the okay. fact that they have a garment to begin with means that they are originally Christian or been saved. They're they children of have, God. They are children of God. They have they have they have uh, uh, they possess salvation. They are a child of God. Uh, I cannot make that point clear enough. The lost, the lost of the world, uh, individuals who do not know Jesus Christ as their Savior don't have a garment, and it's just as simple as that. You're not given a garment until after you are saved. Huh. Very interesting. Um, I, I know we're getting here toward the, toward the end of our show, and we've got a few other things we want to talk about, but I want to make sure so we don't have any cracks that fall, things fall through the cracks here. To, to use your model to, to look at it, and I count by looking at this worthy and unworthy status, we have a total of five different classes of, of believers identified in Scripture, both the Old Testament and the New Testament worthy and unworthy, plus new tribulation saints that occur. Can you explain what the future destiny is of each of those groups so we make sure we understand clearly your, your overall framework? I've got some uh, thoughts uh, along those lines, and I've, I've discussed that with uh, uh, a, a few Bible teachers and, and uh, scholars and preachers. Uh, there's um, one thing that you hadn't mentioned is the fact that uh, there are several versions of the partial rapture being taught right. today. There's right. uh, first rapture, there's first fruits rapture, there's, uh, uh, there's two or three others. And I, I, I have some disagreement with some of those teachings. But that's because uh, some of them teach multiple raptures inside the uh, Great Tribulation period. There's not. I haven't found any other. There's no record in the Scripture of a second or third or multiple raptures throughout the Great Tribulation period. But uh, on this note, what you've mentioned is there are many resurrections. That's a fact. Resurrections can be found. Uh there are individuals who are caught up. The two witnesses during the Great Tribulation period are going to be caught up. Now, some people call that a rapture because they are caught up, but they were killed, then they were raised back to life by God. The Spirit, the Spirit, it 
catered back into them, and they stood up alive. And then they were taken. It they were translated, uh, but they were not transfigurated. And there's a difference. So there's multiple ra- uh, multiple resurrections throughout uh, from the time of the rapture throughout uh, to the end of the Great Tribulation period. Uh, but the uh, classes of I didn't quite understand that that question. Okay, Old well, Testament, New Testament, worthy and unworthy. Let, let me rephrase this, okay? Uh, We've I talked about I, those. These are just, quote, believers, people that have a saving faith, okay? All right. Uh, we, we've learned from this show, in your in your writing, that this approach says that there are those who are worthy and therefore suitable for a, for a calling up and those who are not worthy. There's, there's still believers will have ultimate eternal life but are unworthy. And if I understood your description, let's just look at the Old Testament ones. At the time of Jesus' crucifixion, there the, the, there was an earthquake, the ground opened. We know eventually it was taught that he took paradise, he took Old Testament saints up to heaven. But also we know that there were some that actually resurrected, and we presume that they were in mortal bodies. We have no indication that they were in mortal bodies that lived forever, you know, and, and even before this time Lazarus and others had this. Um what ha- were the were the ones who resurrected were those ones who were considered unworthy and therefore not permanently taken up at that time? Uh, oh, I don't know. Okay, I see what you're getting at. Yeah, I was I was uh, I was quizzed and questioned that way trying to be, uh, uh, a friend of mine who we discuss these issues quite often. Uh, uh, he uh, that's right. He uh, he wanted me. To, if that was an illustration of the rapture, and then then one would have to be worthy, and the other would not would, would have to not be worthy. That was his point. If my illustration was valid, then uh, which one was worthy and which one was unworthy? Uh, that's not the case in the lives of the individuals, mm-hmm. because uh, well, one of them was taken to heaven. Uh, I wouldn't consider that bad. Right. right. The other one is now part of the church. I wouldn't consider that bad either. Uh, what was done by God through the separation of the Old Testament saints was, as the Scripture says, uh, so that all things must, you know, might be fulfilled. I believe that it that was done so that all things could be fulfilled in the literal sense as giving us an absolute physical representation of the rapture that is going to occur in our future, that God is going to separate into two groups. Okay. Uh, that, that, that's, that's the illustration. Okay. So is that one really then an exhaustive uh, final accounting of the Old Testament saints and the final splitting, it was one really just to do as an, an illustration That's exactly right. that there will be that. So so let me understand this. In that case, um, are they then those who had some type of saving faith under the Old Covenant but were not worthy to call up into heaven that are still in the ground? And would they participate in the rapture one day or not until after the millennium? And the one, same thing with the church. One that illustration as the uh, Old Testament saints that were taken to heaven were the portion of the Old Testament saints that were looking forward to the promise yes. 
of the Messiah inside their life under the old covenant. Sure. Therefore, that that would be if you wanted if you wanted to do it that in that manner, that would be the illustration of you know where the church is the church is going to heaven, uh, and, and from my perspective, the bride is going to heaven, and so the individuals of the Old Testament saints that went to heaven would we would be representative of that group, and then the other group. Uh, if you think about it literally, I teach that the portion of the church that goes into the Great Tribulation period that is unprepared for the rapture is going to die inside that time period. That's exactly what happened to the Old Testament saints that were brought back to life. They died inside that time period. Mm-hmm. Okay, what about what about belie- church, Christian believers now that die there's going to be some who are anxiously waiting here's appearance and waiting for the resurrection and the you know the trumpet sound and there, there's others that were not waiting for it carnal right. christians are now, those carnal many, many people yeah many many people really get stirred up when i start teaching because uh, they think oh that's interpretational that in other word does say what i say it says uh but one would have to agree with from everybody else's perspective, my interpretation of it. First uh, Thessalonians, First Thessalonians chapter four. Uh, For the Lord Himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of archangel, and the uh, trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. The dead in Christ shall rise first. Now, if you go to uh, John chapter fourteen, John chapter fourteen, that's the giving of the promise. Uh, you believe in God, you believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go, and you know, I will come again right. and receive you unto myself. But you keep reading John chapter 14, all of chapter 14, study chapter 14. Go to 15, 16, and through 17. The, the Jesus Christ relates to us his relationship and fellowship between God, Him, and the Spirit, He actually defines Himself. Let me, I'm going to turn to that right quick. Hang on, no. Don't mm-hmm. run off. John chapter 14. Yeah, I spent uh, several weeks. Jesus says, I am the true vine. Right. And my Father is the husbandman. Right. Each, every branch in, in me, every right. branch in me that beareth not fruit, He taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, He purgeth that it may bring forth more fruit. Uh, Jesus says, uh, he, he, when he introduces that he's going away and God's going to send back the comforter, Jesus identifies himself as the comforter later in later passages. Then he includes God in that. Let me read those. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. He tells them the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost, is mm-hmm. going, he's going to send back the Comforter. Then he identifies the Comforter as the Holy Ghost. Then he identifies himself as the Comforter, as the Holy Ghost. And then he says, at that day ye shall know that I am in the Father, and ye in me, and I in you. There's, there's two possessions there. Every single Christian has the Spirit of God abiding in them. But not every single Christian walks in the Spirit. We're told in the Scripture to walk in the Spirit. That suggests, if we're being told to do that, it suggests a believer is capable of not doing that. Right. It goes on to say, Jesus answered and said unto them, If a man love me, he will keep my words. Well, what happens if you don't keep the Lord's words? 
and my Father will love him, and we will come unto we will come unto him. But there's only one coming, the Comforter. But Jesus identifies He individually as the Comforter and God individually as the Comforter because they're all one, mm-hmm. and make our, including both of them, abode with Him. Jesus is always telling us, not just, in my opinion, this is what the Scripture says, not just have the Spirit of God living in us, as all of us do, but we need to clothe ourselves with the Spirit and walk in the Spirit continually in our life. I sincerely believe that all believers don't do that. Right. And, and, and even in a broader sense, this general principle is taught in verses like, draw nigh unto God and He will draw nigh unto you. If we draw ourselves close to Him and want to cling to Him, then then, then obviously in his appearing, he's going to want to draw nigh to us uh, as, as well in our Christian walk. We're at the end of the show time, and there's so much I wanted to ask you. And I would suggest that people go back and look at the passages, I believe it's Matthew 24 and Luke 17, about how one is taken and the other left behind. Uh, and in looking at your biblical model, you can read that much more literally and explicitly uh, in terms of a conditional rapture. If you're picturing those as believers uh, that are being exposed, you know, where one's taken and the other left, that's a that, that if 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 your model's true, that would be a much more natural reading of those passages. Um, what do you hope that will be accomplished in the body of Christ with your book? And we've really just got a minute or two here, and I want to ask them about how they can get your book. But what what do you hope to accomplish practically? Uh, all I have ever wanted was to educate individuals what I sincerely believe God has educated me in. And uh, that's that's what the book is for. Uh, the things that I believe sincerely that God showed me were the truth contained inside his word. Uh, I want nothing but to share that with the church. I sincerely believe uh, that, uh, well, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't put it that way. I mean, I, don't want, it is not my wish, it is not my will for, well, number one, just like the Bible says of God, he does not will anyone uh, to uh, suffer uh, the pains of being lost for all eternity. Right, to perish. He wishes all to come to the knowledge of Jesus Christ as their Savior, uh, as well as the entire church uh, to escape the Great Tribulation period. Uh, I, I, I wish that I still believe the the pre-tribulation rapture because I want none of the church. I don't like the idea of any portion of the church going into the Great Tribulation period. Uh, But the truth of the matter is the Scripture has shown me and taught me and, uh, okay, let's say it, convinced me that uh, that is going to be the case. And I wish it not Uh, to be true. Well, uh, and I guess I would say for our listeners, if you have any kind of any kind of hint in the back of your mind that what you're saying or even part of it could be true when they study the Scripture themselves, then it would be a good idea for them to stay close to Christ. Absolutely. To stay very close and to be watchful, abide in Him, put away the fruitless works of darkness, um, be about kingdom work, live soberly, walk circumspectly in the world. Well, one of the passages... uh uh, one of the great passages, and I don't have it here in front of me, but it, you'll be familiar with it. It's Paul. Paul, it's the passage that that he was writing. Uh, I forget who he's writing it to right now because I don't have it in front uh-huh. of me. But he uses the word apprehended. Right. Uh, uh, he was in in search of. He was 
in the race four. He was mm-hmm. a striving for and reaching for an apprehension of which he was apprehended for of Christ. The second apprehension is salvation. He had he mm-hmm. had a he had possession of salvation, right. but he was striving for another apprehension inside that salvation. That passage itself explains it. Uh, from Paul's perspective, uh, in his teachings throughout his letters, uh, better than right. any one thing that I know. Well, our listeners are going to have a lot to chew on here. I'm sure we're going to get a lot of emails from them. Hopefully, the desired effect is everybody will pour into their to their Bibles. The other thing I'd like for them to do is to get your book. So, in closing, how can our listeners get your book and read up on your further research? Okay, the book. Before I forget it, we have a message board. Now, we have plans to put a website up, but we do have a message board. Okay. Uh, My email address is on that message board. It's easy to find. It's all lowercase, two words run together, partialrapture.net. Okay. Partialrapture.net, easy to find. Uh, Most of the, I say most, a lot of the information, most of the subjects, but a lot of the information of our book uh, is on our message board. Anybody can go Mm -hmm. to that and look it up. The uh, book was published, was self-published. Uh, I, I would say I hadn't made a dime off any of this. Mm-hmm. Actually, it has uh, cost me quite a bit. I've, <laughs> yeah. I've, yeah. Never, made a, I've never made a dime uh, ministering, preaching, mm-hmm. teaching, uh, traveling. It's, uh, everything is out of pocket. I, I, I financed it myself, and I'm, mm-hmm. I'm not blowing my own horn. Those are just facts. Mm-hmm. But the book was published, self-published, uh, at a pretty good expense for a poor boy, but uh, by Zulon Press, that is, X U L O N. You can find it on the internet, uh, zulonpress.com. X U L O N. And that that information is on our uh, message board, parsonrapture.net. Okay. okay. My email address uh, is uh, is all over the message board. Okay. Um, well, we'll put so, your link. We'll put your link up at futurequake.com where this show's archived, right. and people will know to go to that portal, and that also lead them where to get your book. And to participate in the forum as well, too, correct? Uh, yeah, that's, that, absolutely. That message board, there, there's mm-hmm. uh, uh, of course, mm-hmm. for anyone, it doesn't yeah. cost anything. It's just a message board. Right. And we invite, not just discussion on this subject, we open that and we built that mm-hmm. because uh, this subject is uh, ridiculed on other message board. I've mm-hmm. been kicked off of many, and I'm not judging. Yeah. That's just a fact. Yeah. Uh, I've been, Guess, uh, guess what? We have two. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I'm sure y'all. <laughs> but I've been banned several right. times. Yeah. Uh, just trying to discuss. That's all I want to right. do is discuss. I'm not, I'm not trying to convince anyone of these teachings. I have a buddy of mine that we grew up together that, uh, we agree on most doctrines, uh, together, uh, eternal security of the believer and most of all the scriptures that, that either one of y'all would, would, uh, put right. forth in teaching. But, uh, distinctly disagrees with me on this one subject uh, and a couple of others. And uh, I have spent years in debate uh, with him over the phone, mostly. And uh, I've, I've come in contact with uh, many, many individuals that uh, can get rather, I'm sure y'all know. Yes. Uh, yeah. Well, yeah. Bro- okay. Brother Chip, yeah. we're, a, we're a community we're of people. Here. We're, yeah, okay. we're a we're a brotherhood of believers here who <laughs> want to challenge each other in iron sharpen iron, and you are free to discuss the scripture here. This mm-hmm. is a safe Amen. forum to do that. Well, uh, y'all have been refreshing. I'm just going to tell you that. Well, thank well, you. You're welcome back anytime. 
uh, continue to challenge us. I want our Futurian listeners to go do their own thinking, get the book, and start working this out themselves, and we'll have a dialogue, and we'd like to have you back again soon. All right. Well, thank you so much for being with us, and God bless. Thank you. We're back at Future Quake with Dr. Future. And I'm Tom Nanosecond Bionic. We hope you enjoyed our uh, interview with Pastor Chip. Send us some email. Let us know what you think about it. Uh, also send him some information. Mm-hmm. Come back tomorrow for tomorrow's tremors. But until then, we hope your future is always bright. Have a good day. Zip. Join us next time as we dare to experience another aftershock of a future quake. quake, quake, quake. Welcome to the Future Quake Show. I am Dr. Future. And I am Tom. Uh, no middle name this week. Bionic. Is, is that just a form of protest? I'm not sure what it is. I'm just in a... I haven't had my Wheaties today or something. I don't know. Really? Yeah. Is it Tom, I'm in a funk, Bionic? A big, big purple funk. Okay. Somebody dropped a fill-up 50-gallon drum on me. Well, we love you. Caused a mess. Well, I tell you what. Here's something that'll make you feel good. Foot rub? No. You can show the listeners and myself that you know what today is, being that it's Friday. It is? Well, it's definitely Friday, because you just said so. And what what does that mean? That means it's trash day, usually. Yeah. Well, I don't know if you're referring to the content of our show or, or <laughs> something that's Touché. the future household. It is uh, uh, tomorrow's tremors or today's future review of the news. It's very, very close. Today's review of the future's news. Oh, that's what I meant. <clears throat> I give that a a very positive A minus. I get a oh, I would agree. And I, I would you should lift your spirits. I feel, ladies and gentlemen, we whoa, will actually I'm have news today. Going crazy now. <laughs> whoa, hey, okay. Oh, you you know you have millions of fans and listeners out there. I know. Mostly they write me hate mail. No, they don't. <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, it's great to be back with you for another week of our show of our news stories. We hope you enjoyed our uh, interview with Chip White this week and look forward to hearing what your thoughts are on that very provocative interview. And I also want to thank our listeners who have sent us um, their predictions for 2010. We've already had a few of them mm-hmm. that have come in. We sort of announced it at the last minute, and we apologize for that and just dovetailed that at the end of Merv's announcement the last couple of shows. We appreciate those of you who responded to that or saw it at the front of futurequake.com. It was a little bit of a last-minute announcement, and uh, we look forward to adding those in. And some of our our most well-known uh, listeners of Futurequake have responded, mm-hmm. and it'll be a lot of fun to hear what they have to say. It's a party. And you'll see and it's hear. It's a party going on tonight. Make our day. It looks like your spirits have already picked up. Uh, No. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> there, there's some... Uh, some of the favorite guests of Future Quake will be dropping in, traditional guests for the fifth annual prediction show, Future Quake, mm-hmm. and uh, looking at what 2010 holds. And one thing I need to do preparing for that next week is review what our predictions were last year. Mm-hmm. I need to give a listen to that so uh, we know how how close we were. Well, I usually, I remember the year before, I was really close. <clears throat> I did pretty good. My waterboarding party sensation didn't catch on. <laughs> <laughs> I had it's like a slip and slide. Well, I had predicted of it long, would catch on like fraternities and things, yeah. waterboarding parties. And instead of a, yeah, instead of a slip and slide, you get like a little yeah. little kiddie pool and a. But it has increased though in the Guantanamo Bay, evidently. So at least some places it's popular. Yeah, and probably law enforcement and things like that. Well, you, I mean, one of the stories we reviewed actually was how they uh, 
the law enforcement, I believe it was upstate New York, uh, botched a DNA sample. So to uh-huh. get it from the guy, they first said, well, we'll just waterboard him. And they said, no, 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 we're not going to waterboard him. We'll just chain him to the, we'll just chain him to a post from the ceiling, uh-huh. pull from the ceiling, hang, come from the ceiling and just taser him until he opens his mouth to get his DNA mm-hmm. sample. So it's yeah. like even one up. Even the you know, I never saw that on the Andy Griffith show. I never saw he and Barney ever have to do that to Otis or. That was very. That was very like. That was like the late showing. Yeah. You know, yeah. after eleven, okay. they would show the Andy Griffith show. You know, if behind they, the scenes. If they did that, they'd use that music. That was always when it got serious, like yeah. when the FBI came into Mayberry. And well, there was that. Yeah, there was that one episode where he deputized the Darlin boys, and they all got automatic rifles, and right. it was a real mess. You know what? I would certainly prefer that, prefer that today to what we're dealing with right now. <laughs> you know, we're a Christian show, and we're a new show today, and I guess we should show that to yeah. people. Uh, would you like to begin with some news stories? Okay, I've got a real to? quick one here, and uh, I'll just it'll it'll get us rolling okay. um, down the <clears throat> down the thing. This is via the Irish Times. Uh, National Irish Bank moves to cashless banking. Incidentally, this is not like from the right. onion or anything. It might sound like a contradiction in terms, but for the first time, one of the main Irish consumer banks is moving to cashless banking in all its branches. National Irish Bank has written to thousands of its customers this month informing them of a new style of banking, quote-unquote, in which branches will not handle over-the-counter cash transactions. The letter says branches will no longer handle cash withdrawals and lodgements, night-safe lodgements, and foreign, foreign currency cash. Branches will continue to lodge checks, drafts, and post orders and issue drafts. Customers are advised to obtain cash from ATMs nationwide, or to seek cash back on their debit cards. A spokesman confirmed that cashless banking was being introduced across the entire NIB branch network over the next 18 months and had already been introduced successfully in a number of branches. Hmm. You want you want cash yeah. from a, from an yeah. Irish national bank? Yeah. No. You don't hmm. get it. Sorry. Well, you know, that's interesting. Um, <clears throat> I guess technically Internet banks operate that way already. Well, sure. They're basically de facto credits that just show up yeah. in accounts somewhere. Well, sure, but I can still go to my bank and go, I want to close my account. Give me my money. Right. You know, these guys go, I'm sorry. Talk yeah. to the computer. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, it hopefully would get rid of armed robberies, but uh, they could still steal it. Unless, of course, crime. yeah, I was just going to say all they, all you've done is... Bullets. It, yeah. Right. Instead of bullets, it's like the pimply-faced teenager in his mom's basement right. who wires himself $20 million right. and right. goes to Botswana. So we know the direction. That's Mark of the Beast, basically. Mm-hmm. That's the, the slippery slope that we're accelerating on yep. right now. It's true. Well, i got a story, and I, I want to tell our listeners to my weekly apology. Uh, <clears throat> some of the shows we've had and things like that have required me to do a tremendous amount of prep and I have read every email sent. I get several of them every day, a number, number of them. But I haven't been able to respond to people's emails. Mm-hmm. I'm acting on them. I'm actually doing some of the things they suggest. I just haven't gone back and confirmed with them. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to try my best to get back to everybody's email. Oh, but just that's, bear with that's me. Sweet. I, know, I hate to take up time, but I just feel guilty about it. This is a one from uh, Baptist Press. Um, and, you know, this and the couple of stories I have here were so good that I kept questioning myself if I actually reviewed them last week. Mm-hmm. And if I did, I'd like our listeners to presume they're having a deja vu experience, mm-hmm. and they really didn't hear it last week, okay? All right. So I'm asking for them to suspend belief. 
this is from Baptist Press. Um, Southern Baptist ethicist Richard Land. Richard Land. He shows up again. <coughs> here for our local guy here. Mm-hmm. And 33 other religious leaders have called on congressional leaders to promote legislation imposing sanctions to prevent Iran from developing nuclear weapons. In a December 10th letter, the coalition named Christian Leaders for a Nuclear-Free Iran. Um, and really, that's what nu- Christian leaders are all about, aren't they? Nuclear-Free Iran. confirming the nuclear state of other countries. That's really what they're called for in ministry, I think. Well, these these days, you, you would... You would Assume that based on their actions, but yeah. no. Uh, they urge Senate Majority Leader Harry Reid and Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi to bring sanctioned proposals to the floors of both chambers of con- Congress. The letter also went to the top Republican in each House, as well as specific committee leaders. The signers described the stakes as, quote, extremely high. A nuclear-armed Iran is almost certain to initiate an arms race with other Middle Eastern and Arab nations, who have reason to fear the religious, political, and military ambitions of Iran's extremist leaders. The letter said, calling Iran the world's leading state sponsor of international terror. I guess that excludes us. Uh, the signers said they must assume the, region will, the regime will provide nuclear weapons to extremist groups that are declared and demonstrating enemies to America and her allies. Uh, the coalition called for sanctions on firms that conduct oil-related business with the radical Islamic regime, including the export of refined petroleum to Iran. Uh, it's important for Congress to act soon, they said, because talks with Iran have proven fruitless, and there's a strong consensus in the Senate and House for sanctions. Uh, just skipping over a few points here. Um, uh, according to Land, other Southern Baptist leaders... Signers of the letter from the Southern Baptists are the former Southern Baptist Convention President James Merritt and former North American Mission Board President Robert Record. Well, I'm glad to hear the missionary rep- organizations are getting involved in the oh, really? nuclear yeah. weapons. Great. Uh, Gary Bauer signed it, President of America's Values. Pat Robertson, the Christian Broadcast Network. Wendy Wright, Concerned Women for America. Uh, Tom Minery. Senior Vice President of Focus on the Family, Matthew Staver, President of the Liberty Council, and Jordan Seculo. Uh, I assume he's related to Jay Seculo. I don't know. Could be. Uh, <coughs> director family of the, business going on there. Yeah, Director of the International Operations for the American Center of Law and Justice. In September, nearly 50 signers, including Land and other Southern Baptist leaders, sent a letter to President Obama in Congress urging a boycott on arms sales to the regime. And uh, let me just say, there's maybe a few other points here. There was another article on this. Um, Christian leaders, including Bill Donahue, uh, I think he's a Catholic. Bill uh, Donahue? No, Bill Donahue. Oh. Richard Land and Pat Robertson, representing millions of evangelicals, Roman Catholics, and other Christians. Uh, this, this comes from uh, Christian Telegraph. Uh, requesting tough sanctions on Iran. Uh, according to reports submitted by the 14,000-member National Association of Chiefs of Police. Now, what do the chiefs of police have to do with that? Um, it may have been submitted to them. I don't oh. know. Uh, I'm just trying to see here. Uh, it says, now that supermajorities in the House of Senate have made their support for sanctions known, and now that the Iranian regime has made its increased defiance clear, it's time for Congress to Iraq, says Dr. To, uh, Dr. Richard Land, head of the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission. I guess that's part of ethics and religious liberty is to We'd like to have him on. Promote We'd sanctions. Like to get him on. Uh they said they should also cut off gasoline. 
So hopefully that would keep people at home where they couldn't go to work and stuff like that in Iran. And mm-hmm. uh, uh, an oil exporting country. Yeah. Awesome. Um, you know they're short. They don't have fuels you know, like, like trying that. To cut off sunlight or something. Well, they don't have fuels. I mean, we're gonna fly a plane over that blocks out the sun. <laughs> I've heard nobody they don't, don't know what time it is. The reason they think this will work is I heard they don't have refining capacity. Oh really? They really don't have refineries over there mm. uh, for it. That's odd. And they, they have shortages right now. Mm. Um, and then it includes, uh, as I mentioned, Pat Robertson, Richard Land, Bill Donahue of the Catholic League of Religious and Civil Rights. James Merritt of Cross Point Church, uh, John Hagee of Cornerstone Church of San Antonio, Norman Schwarzkopf Sr. Uh, no, no, he's not in there. Uh, I think I think that's just the basics of it. But basically, um, these you know, as far as ethics, religious liberty, freedom, there's really nothing that's a problem here in the United States. We have. All the freedom and liberty we could stand, so we need to be focused on other countries. Yeah. And Never mind the fact that weapons. the Supreme Court has moved to gut due process there two, two weeks ago. They'll get to that later. Yeah, it's like, oh, don't worry about it. We've got to go after these people. How, why would that be a priority for a religious liberty group to be concerned with that because rather than international arms dealing? Yeah, it's very important that we go after Iran. They're the, They're bad. Yeah. They're... Even though that, like, well, just take this thing with Yemen, you know. Our intelligence is right. saying that Yemen is, is it's the next hot spot. we got to go after Yemen. And even Saudi Arabia is going, there's no evidence that Iran is there. And we're going, right. yes, he is. They're there. we got to go get them. Whip up the, well, the, you know. You know, what whatever. I'm thinking is that before World War II, I, from what I've read, and I've been told, I'm not an expert on this, mm-hmm. but... <clears throat> We put very stringent restrictions on oil and fuel on Japan. Mm-hmm. Um, they did not want to become engaged with us, and this is not talked about very much. But if you read some of the historical records, we put more and more draconian limits on the Japanese. Mm-hmm. Not that the Japanese were good people. I mean, they were doing terrible things in China and things like that. Mm-hmm. But <clears throat> basically, we were trying to provoke them into war. It, it's basically a blockade. This amounts to a blockade, which is considered an act of war. Hmm. So it's another type of preliminary war hmm. when you do this. And that's that's what happened to the Japanese. And Japanese said, look, you're forcing our hand. And our leaders wanted to go into war. And so they got what they were hoping for, well, which was to lead us into war. Well, there's quite a few people that believe that uh, Roosevelt knew beforehand exactly yeah. what was going on there. 12 to 24 hours before Pearl Harbor was attacked. Well, and I believe not only is there strong evidence of that, but I believe that there was a plan way ahead of time to get involved in in the Pacific War and in the Atlantic War, hmm. um, purposely putting out merchant ships to get sunk and other things like that. Where, uh, well, we'll have Dennis Cuddy on here pretty soon. He'll he'll, and he'll be able to us. explain some of that. Well, um, that the quote good war. Mm-hmm. was a premeditated war in the West as much as it was in Germany. Wow. In Japan. That's not, doesn't make me any but, happier. But now we have our top evangelical leaders whose primary concern right now is not our religious freedom, not injustice happening in our country, not loss of our rights. It is being able to provoke a war with another country in another land. Yeah, you know, there are millions of people, as we learned with, like, Colette Perku, you know, there's millions of kids out there who are being sold into the sex slavery um, rings and, you know, into that. 
and uh, we have we have yet to actually review a story about that unless it's like a top government official such as Frederick uh-huh. Mitterrand, right. like participating and right. salivating and getting excited over it. Right. You know. Right. You never see any of these people going, "Wow, we gotta stop this." What about the really wealthy top evangelical ministries? Have you heard them have a lot of articles and big? No. Now there may be some of them that are addressing it. I don't know, but I don't hear that as a major. I don't either. priority. It's, it's and you know what? That is an issue that I can't help but is unambiguously evil. Mm-hmm. Where we know actions are evil being taken, we don't we don't have to be confused on who the good guys and bad guys yeah. are, what the agendas are. This is bad. We stop this. We produce good. Yeah, totally. People it's are so, delivered and saved. It's so easy. And well, uh, as an example, here's a case. There's a there's an organization I've been looking at uh, for a while that what they do is they go and they they buy these kids. You know, mm-hmm. they buy them from the people and put them in orphanages and yeah. other homes and stuff. It costs like seven dollars to buy a child from these. Yeah. Warlords, yeah. or people who run these, you know, sex slave right. rings and stuff. Um, but then you go and you see that these people—they've got millions of dollars and three houses, and you know, it's this and it's that. And it's like, come on, man. I tell you what—I could have taken one of the hors d'oeuvre trays that I saw at the National Religious Broadcasters meetings, mm-hmm. going up to these ministries, up to the suites. Mm-hmm. That would have paid for a lot of kids. Yeah. Would have paid for a lot of kids. Well, and one of the things that we reviewed, um, we reviewed is that you know there are some churches that spend lots of money on interior decor, uh, and you know it's like we got to have our door look just yeah. so. So we'll, we're willing to spend hundreds of thousands of dollars on that door. Right, right. And meanwhile, and there's impressive entryway. Yeah. Meanwhile, there's you know millions of kids every year being brought into these just horrendously things where they're fed one meal of yeah. one meal a day of rice. Yeah. Well, I would recommend people on this topic to just take another view to that movie Schindler's List, mm-hmm. and particularly the scene at the end that always brings me to tears. Yeah. When he's got to be smuggled out, mm-hmm. and he's at the car, and the the Jewish people are going to try to smuggle him to safety, mm-hmm. and he just looks at this car and says, "If I had sold this car, I could have saved another fifty people. Yeah. Or if my coat, my watch, if I'd gotten rid of it, I could have had another ten or fifteen people." I'll tell you what, I know how he feels. I get. He was struck with reality. Yeah. He was struck with the reality (laughs) of the world we live in. I know. Absolutely. Human life is so cheap that the trinkets that we focus on. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, pins and hats and brooches and stuff. And, and, you know, people spend thousands of dollars on that. Yeah. And uh, they won't lift a finger to do good in any way, shape, or form. Yeah. And we got missionaries out there pleading for a, a small mini bike or motorcycle so they can hit all of the villages out there that aren't sure. getting supplies. Sure. It costs $30 a month to support a native missionary in India. Yeah. And, you know, it, it's just criminal that they have to ask for funds. You know, that uh, what is it, Heart Cry and Gospel right. for Asia and all these other places. And... Then you go to these. Uh, I'm gonna. I'll, I'm gonna. I'm gonna keep. Hey, I could how, go on this forever. So how about this? How about, well, we're gonna get a lot of emails saying, "How dare you?" It's, it's yeah, very. Know, it's un- fine. Very unkind for you to talk about I other know, ministries. You're bad. Yeah. But you know, there was a movie called, I believe it was like, "Shoes of a Fisherman" or something like that, with mm-hmm. with uh, Anthony Quinn, where he played the Pope, and he Great. makes this mood, this move at the end when there's like the possibility of like uh, um, nuclear war in the mm-hmm. main countries where he takes this move to sell all of the assets of the Catholic Church to feed the poor 
as a catalyst to try to create good in other parts of the world. Wow. And I'm just thinking, of course, that never happened. Um, but what if the evangelicals of our country said, we're going to sell all this fancy stuff. We're going to rip carpet up. Mm-hmm. We're going to sell all this kind of ornate stuff. And we're going to have a big national yard sale. And we're going to put it all into stuff like missions, like those missionaries. Mm-hmm. Wonder, I wonder how effective more our our public relations would be with a nation if we did that. Yeah, they'd probably be quite effective. Or, 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 as they say, are people really looking for bigger gyms and life center, Christian life centers so they can go play basketball? Is that the thing that's really keeping people from getting saved? Hmm. Interesting. I'm Interesting. sorry. No, that's okay. I'll we're get off the, my. I'll get off my, my on box the, there. You we're on us. the same. <laughs> we're on the same wave. We chewed here. up a bunch of time there. On that's okay. We'll get tons of emails. Like you should not let. You should not let Tom Bionic ever speak again. Just turn his mic off. But, but then again, if it keeps Doctor Future from speaking, <laughs> all the better. <laughs> turn Doctor Future's mic down low. That's turn right. Tom's lower. <laughs> off is a good position for both of them. What's up? Uh, we've got. Why the Bush administration watergated, quote-unquote, Elliot Spitzer. And this is something that I mentioned oh, back, way back in yeah. 2008. And I tried to beat the drum on this, and nobody was, everybody was like, oh, ho-hum, you're crazy. Yeah. Um, anyway, the exposure, this comes from uh, Global Research okay. and uh, F. William Engdahl. We had just under six minutes. So. All right. The exposure of New York... State Governor's Elliot Spitzer triced with a luxury call girl has little to do with the Bush administration's high moral standards for public servants. Author F. William Engdahl Engdahl advises that in evaluating spectacular scandals around prominent public figures, it is important to ask what and who might want to eliminate that person. Timing suggests that Spitzer was was likely a target of a White House and Wall Street operation to silence one of its most dangerous and vocal critics of their handling of the current financial market crisis. Um, as he, uh, we talked about this on, we talked about this on air briefly, but I'll, I'll review for anybody who hasn't gone back and seen that. Um, he wrote a editorial in the New York Times, uh, I'm sorry, Washington Post, Post. Uh, he wrote, uh, Spitzer explained, the administration accomplished this feat, that is, uh, blowing this blowing this financial bubble, mm-hmm. uh, through an obscure federal agency called the Office of Comptroller of the Currency, the OCC has been in existence since the Civil War. Its, um, its mission is to ensure the financial soundness of national banks. For 140 years, the OCC ex- examined the books of national banks to make sure that there was balance, uh, an important but uncontroversial function. But a few years ago, for the first time in its history, the OCC was used as a tool against consumers. In 2003, during the height of the predatory lending crisis, the OCC invoked a clause from the 1863 National Bank Act to issue formal opinions preempting all state predatory lending laws, thereby rendering them inoperative. The OCC also promulgated new rules that prevented states from enforcing any of their own consumer protection laws against national banks. Let me read that again. The OCC also promulgated new rules that prevented states from enforcing any of their own consumer protection laws against national banks. That, in effect, means that, you know, we've nullified the Ninth and the Tenth Amendment. Mm-hmm. The federal government's actions were so egregious and so unpre- un- unprecedented that all 50 state attorney generals uh, and all 50 state banking superintendents Attendants actively fought the new rules, but the unanimous opposition of the 50 states did not deter or even slow the Bush administration in its goal of protecting the banks. 
In fact, when my office opened an investigation of possible discrimination in mortgage lending by a number of banks, the OCC filed a federal lawsuit to stop the investigation. And then uh, uh, he wrote that in February 14th. Elliot Spitzer said that. Yeah, he wrote that at a, in an editorial in the Washington Post. Um, and then on March 4th, uh, he was he was uh, you know suddenly he's you know caught up with this this yeah. call girl here you know. You know, I sense that in that culture, when you get in that circle, in that high level, they really try to promote people to get involved in that kind of thing and try to sell them how untouchable they are so then they can be controlled like this. It's like the guy I knew in business who, when he would hire salesmen, he would always try to encourage them that, hey, you've got to live a different lifestyle. You're going to have to buy a you know, sports car. Mm-hmm. You need to buy a house much above your means because you'll be entertaining and you'll be expected. And they would get them deep, deep in debt. And this guy confessed this to me. Mm-hmm. And after they do that and they'd realize they couldn't make their payments, they'd say, well, you better get out there and sell real hard. You yeah. better sell hard <laughs> to keep up with this. I had a... And that's what I think that they do with these guys. They get them trapped in this kind of thing. And then they say, "Well, gee, you better play ball because you got all this baggage in here." Uh, I knew a guy. I knew a guy who that to all of his employees. One guy needed some. Uh, he needed to hire a lawyer for something. Yeah. So the boss lent him, you know, twenty thousand dollars and put in a good word with him for the special high end lawyer. Yeah. And uh, and uh, then after the guy accepted the money and all this stuff, suddenly. You know, he noticed that, you know, $5 a month was being taken out of his paycheck. He said, well, what's this for? He said, oh, well, you know, you owe me all that money, and, um, you know, there's, yeah. that's that's, yeah. that's to cover the interest. Right. You know? Right. It's like, wow. Right. And then he would do that to other he would do that to other people, too. That's how things work in the big leagues. I know. That's Everything terrible. has strings attached. I know. He didn't, he couldn't stand, uh, he couldn't stand the fact that I never took a dime from him in that way, mm-hmm. you know? So it was always right. it, after after a couple of months, I realized that it was nothing but a form of control. Mm-hmm. Just too bad. That's right. Yeah. That's right. And that's how the and that's that says uh, Jesus said that's how the Gentiles run business. It says they lord it over each other. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what we're, the world that we're talking about. Yeah. Right here, and in our own government. So that way, somebody steps out of line, they can pull the string. Mm-hmm. That information gets thrown out on the table. Indeed, sir. And, uh, and it's too bad. It's terrible. Yeah. It's ridiculous. You know, it's, trying to, people are trying to do is provide for their family. And, right. But we as the church could focus on things like bringing deliverance, exposing evil, the truth. We need to be focusing on, on blowing Iran up. Come on, man. <laughs> you saw where I was going with that. <laughs> Didn't you read the document? we got to go. Well, we have to be worried about these countries because obviously you can't find any kind of sin or things that are disconcerting in our own country. No. Everything looks to be pretty good with our, just like as you were reading there. Perfectly normal, perfectly natural. Justice is prevailing in our nation, so we better be worried yeah. about other people. I know. We got, I had a bunch of stories yeah. lined up for our prediction show. Oh, one, okay. of them, one of them is, uh. But they gotta be predictions. That's true. But I'm gonna use them to, to ask more predictive stuff. It's like, oh, boy. start here and then move. All right. Like, what does this entail? Yeah. And, uh, one of them is, well, I'll, I won't give it away. Okay. Well, I predict it'll be interesting. I predict I'll, Merv is going to come in here next. Oh, you beat me to it. <laughs> Merv, come and tell him how to contact us at Future Quake. Future Quake radio broadcasts are archived at www.futurequake.com, suitable for downloading or streaming, as well as other show information. Email Dr. Future and Tom Bionic at drfuture at futurequake.com. 
That's D-R-F-U-T-U-R-E at futurequake.com. Tell us your name, city, and radio station or internet, and if we can use your name on air. Comments on the show's topics or guests or suggestions for future show topics or guests are most welcome. Dr. Future and Tom will discuss selected emails each week during the radio broadcast. Okay, we got like five seconds. Okay, I predict that we're done. That's it for this week. Sorry we didn't get more stories in. Sorry we pontificated, but appreciate your patience. Come back next week for another great guest. Until then, we hope your future is always bright. Have a good day. Hasta luego. Join us next time as we dare to experience another aftershock of a future quake. quake, quake, quake.